Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Now, if you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of October 2022, which means as once again, the annual traditional Kyle's Killer October. Uh, so basically what that entails is Kyle will be assuming the controls of the programming content uh, for the entirety of October, uh, the Halloween season, if you will. And uh, Kyle, uh, would you care to take the reins and inform our dear listeners uh, what the theme is this year? Uh, yes, the theme this year is uh, Ram Zabi Films, or a.k.a. a character study of, or, or an actor study of Sherry Moon Zombie. <laughs> and I think this film is uh, the pinnacle of that because this is mostly her vehicle. This is mostly her film. Um, and this week I chose uh, The Lords of Salem from 2012. And this is really the movie that guided me into this month. Uh, that and House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, it's one I wanted to revisit and discuss. Um, and Halloween is just kind of pertinent. We covered that last week. It was just like, well, I kind of want to cover that film as well, just because I'd like to, you know, dust it off, revisit it, see if it still holds up. But this is one, this is why I wanted to do this month, because this movie uh, is from people are from people that I respect their movie taste and judgment claim that this is his best movie, or at least this is to be uh, one of his high regarded movies. And... I don't get it, and I think Trevor's kind of in the same in the same camp. I don't want to speak for you, but wow, this movie is just—it's uh, something. It's better than his other movies for sure. I think it. I, in all fairness, I do think it is his probably his best movie, but it's not my favorite movie of his. Yeah, I, I mean, I know what the movie is. Like, I don't have any difficulty grappling with the concepts at work in this film. It's more the the impact of it, I guess, uh, because Rob Zombie, as we've discussed in the past couple of weeks here, um, he's a highly aesthetic-centered director, uh, mm-hmm. although he does put a lot of weight on uh, quality of performance in his films. You know, whether or not those performances featured in his films are to your liking is, you know, it, it, up to the individual, <laughs> um, but he does have a style. Uh, he does have a, a, a readily identifiable brand. Um, and this movie differs uh, from many of his other films uh, in the way it looks and especially in the way it's paced out and the way it's presented. Um, this this movie, like I didn't know its reputation going in. Kyle was actually the one who had told me that this is often regarded as one of his best films. Um, I don't know if that's true. Uh, we'll, we'll have to keep taking a look at the man's work although we are running out of films in his filmography that i have not seen yeah um at the moment the only films that i can say i have not seen are uh, three from hell uh, which is one of his most recent uh, the monsters which is the most recent uh, halloween 2 which is highly divisive i was actually alarmed the other day when i saw on the twitter that somebody some motherfucker uh ranked that as their favorite halloween oh. film what now i have heard the film is divisive in its reputation but i have never ever seen anybody put it at the top of their halloween list (laughs) that was a new one but uh the last film uh well actually uh 31 uh is the film that uh 
it defeated me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was defeated uh, by 31. Uh, that was one of the first movies that got me and Kyle talking about movies way back in the day before we had a podcast because uh, Kyle just could not. He was relentless in taking shits all over that movie. And he was like, you don't understand, man. It was like he's... It was like he was telling me about like the beast that lives in the woods or something. He's like, "Motherfucker, you don't know. It will, it will, it will change you. <laughs> you don't want to look at that thing." Um, and sure enough, you were right, Kyle. Uh, I think I got half hour, forty minutes in, maybe, and I, I, I had had enough. I just threw my hands up and said, "I gotta take a shit, yeah. and I'm not coming back." <laughs> if you can get past the opening scene, which is a mountain to climb, the opening dialogue. <laughs> If you can get past that, and you can get past the LP, the little person that shows up, I think you would you would have made it through. Because uh, I I did finish it. I, I went all the way through. That was the second tier. It was just like, oh my gosh, there's. I think it was a it was a little person with clown makeup chasing them. I'm like, okay, you've jumped the shark, dude. Like this is this is not okay. Yeah, put put a pin in that little person, by the way, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. because I I did I did see that uh, in thirty one. I did get far enough in there that, okay. I, that I got there. I actually don't remember what the catalyst was for me giving up, but it was basically I was just like looking at things and how they were progressing <laughs> and not seeing it getting better. I was just I, like, no, like I it, it actually reminded me of a, a a job interview I had where it was like for a a super liminal advertising company or something where basically. It was a scam where basically they they would take anybody who could fog a mirror, and then the end of the interview they would take you out to do direct sales for one day. Meaning this is a scam to get an eight hour sh- eight hour shift out of a prospective applicant without ever having to pay them. And I remember walking back to that car and walking to my car, and they said, "Are you not coming?" I was like, "No, no, I'm not." I had, I'm not working for you for free. <laughs> I had a buddy who was trying to get out of the restaurant game. Uh, he'd been at it for a good like ten years. He's like, I got to get out of here, and he he did that. And he's like, he he did the whole day, and then he got done. He's like, yeah, it's a fucking scam. I'm like, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. No, that that was me in, in 31. Was uh, I was on the way. I was walking back to the cars. I was walking back to the parking lot, and I said, this is my chance. I'm taking it. See, I <laughs> I'm think. Out. 31 is the equivalent of stealing a TV from an elderly person from uh, an assisted living facility. It's rock bottom. It's just like you get that TV back to your car to, you know, to pawn it for smack. And you're just like, what am I doing? I just stole an old lady's TV. 31 is the equivalent of that. It's just like you get through that opening scene. You're like, this is rock bottom. This is (laughs) I'm going to go do my taxes. (laughs) I'm going to get a jump on this thing. I want to do anything else but finish this fucking movie, which means we might have to cover it as the last movie. Of I the mean, I, I'm kind of tempted because oh. I know we're we're building up 31 quite a lot, folks. Hopefully, there are people actually listening I, to this who are getting hyped. I think it's so. I, I don't really want to do it. I think it's because it's too disengaging for the both of us. Like, I just don't think that we could actually get through it all the way to complain about it like i feel like we would just be like we're gonna do something else we gotta do something different uh, yeah maybe maybe we'll do it as like an emergency like i don't know what the fuck else to do this week I, or maybe we'll do it like a, a dumpster dive month or something where we just like root through garbage uh, <laughs> um i kind of want to do halloween too uh because we've been talking about it enough now i'm like i kind of curious kind of curious as to what it I, actually me is. too Okay. I'm glad you brought that up because I am too. Because 
I haven't seen it. I've only known it by reputation, and it is quite the reputation. Um, and also, you know, it's it's Halloween season, and yeah, we got Halloween well ends going. coming out. It's like we may as well just kick back and hang out with Michael Myers for a while. I've been in a room where it was on, and I don't remember if I had planned to watch it, but I've only seen the beginning, and I was very confused what was happening, and then I just don't remember what the rest of the film. Uh, give me just a sec. I gotta I gotta grab my pizza real quick, dude. You can get pizza anywhere in America. Anywhere in America, you can get delicious pizza. Don't don't listen to that East Coast shit. Oh, but pizza's but no. I've had pizza in New Jersey. It tasted like ass. It's the worst pizza I've ever had. Yeah. Uh, they'll tell you it's the water. It's the water. It makes all the difference. I don't want New York water. I don't want that shit. <laughs> Louis C.K. had the best description. He's like, New York City is just a pile of trash. He's like, it's just trash. He's like, I threw a candy wrapper on the ground, so you're gonna litter. He's like, yes. Because it's just trash. The whole thing is just trash. <laughs> it's like I'm not, I'm not making it worse. I'm, yeah. I'm contributing to the status quo. Yeah, I'm keeping it as it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but uh, we're, we're okay. We're, we were leave off there. I don't remember, but anyway, like the, there is one other film from Rob Zombie actually that uh, I I'm curious if you are aware of because i only just became aware of it like today uh the haunted world of el superbisto is that uh, in the year 2009 i did not know about that uh, it looks to be an animated film oh i did see okay i did see uh, a credit for that i don't count that shit um it's uh, 77 minutes long, and, and Rob Zombie, I think, is listed as the director, as well as a co-writer, along with Tom Papa, of all people. Tom I, Papa? I, I, oh, he directed Tom Papa's stand-up special. That's interesting. Oh, I get. I I would imagine they are actually friends, then. I like Tom Papa. He's, uh, he's I a, do, too. He's he, very affable. He's very affable. Um <laughs> you should see <laughs> so uh burt kreischer does the uh I, I don't know if he's been doing it anymore but something's burning it's his youtube show where he basically cooks with comedians and tom papa's on there and it's a it's a nice little episode with uh, him on there it's tom papa and another comedian i can't remember who the other comedian is but uh it's a nice episode um i almost bought my dad uh tom papa's book uh, a couple years ago that's a dad book yeah he <clears throat> yeah i was like i think my dad would find a lot of himself in this book <laughs> it's like maybe this would help him reflect on happier times probably not <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a uh, tom papa on uh this is not happening it's a very funny story uh that he tells up there but um uh i guess i'll segue back to the film here oh yeah so lords of salem um yeah. as far as like production details go um there's not a whole lot to say although there's one really important point uh to bring to the fore here uh, and that is that Jason Blum uh, is involved in the production side of things. Is that like he's serving as producer? The Blum House Blum. The 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 big Blum. Gotcha. I thought it would be very 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 a huge coincidence if the we have a quote unquote horror movie and Jason Blum is not associated with Blum House. So. <laughs> yeah. So. As far as I know, like that—that's one of the important things to note. Is this was fairly early in the you know the success of what would become Blumhouse, um, and Blumhouse, like if, if folks at home, if you're if you're interested in the business side of the film industry, 
Uh, look into Blumhouse, man, because uh, in terms of return on investment, uh, the ratio, uh, in the words of Michael Buffer from You Don't Mess With the Zohan, the ratio, <laughs> uh, the return on investment, uh, is truly astounding uh, when you look at their numbers and whatnot. Um, but as far as I understand, yeah, Jason Blum was involved as a producer to some extent. And as a result, it was an extremely low-budget film, but one that offered and afforded Rob Zombie the opportunity to work with essentially absolute carte blanche uh, in terms of creative control. Uh, so this movie, I assumed, based on that, that little soundbite I came upon, uh, is more than likely the movie that Rob Zombie wanted to make. Uh, and I do know that, especially early in his career, that was something that was very difficult for him to achieve. Uh, because, I mean, for fuck's sake, look at what the man makes. Uh, it's <laughs> most certainly not for mainstream audiences, but it is for a very dedicated niche audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and in regards to, like, return on investment, as far as I understand, this movie wasn't a rousing success by any means. However, as Kyle had pointed out at the beginning of this conversation, apparently, critically, it is thought of as, like, one of his stronger offerings. Uh, so i guess carry that through the remainder of this conversation um but i kyle uh, do you want to give us a plot rundown or do you want to talk about the cast or do you just want to dive right the fuck in um i guess let's dive in uh because if we give the plot up the top it's gonna kind of spoil it you know uh, so I think yeah. I'm just gonna dive. I guess we can we can talk about the cast real quick because I do think the cast is one of the more interesting things of this film. Um, uh, so we have uh, of course Sherry Moon Zombie is our main character. We've got Jeff Daniel Phillip who's the the grizzly looking uh, morning zoo guy. Uh, he's the one who plays Herman Munster in the Munster movies, in the new Munster movie. Oh okay. Um, and we've got Ken Foray for a little bit, Bruce Davison, uh, Meg Foster is our main our main witch lady, um, uh, Dean Wa- or D Wallace, uh, who I really like in this movie, and then Patricia Quinn, who you might remember from Rocky Horror Picture Show, Magenta. As She's the gal that looks kind of like a gal that Kyle and I used to work with. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maria Conchita Alonso. Uh, Lisa Marie apparently is somewhere around in here. Uh, I didn't catch her. I'm pretty sure I know who who she's playing. Okay, I didn't, I didn't catch <laughs> you, that. I'm pretty sure you see a lot of her. <laughs> uh, and I didn't catch Sid Haig, uh, but then... I did, I you did. did. Uh, he's okay. in a flashback. And then Michael Berryman. I can't remember who Michael Berryman is. In the same flashback. Okay, okay, flashbacks. But yeah, um, uh, Meg Foster specifically i think she's a uh, she's a uh, horror movie alum if i'm not mistaken yeah i remember her um being in some john carpenter stuff uh in particular like for whatever reason the one that comes to my mind is uh, they live uh, she plays the kind of ominous woman that roddy piper has a boner for but then uh, she i think she kicks him out a window but then he still he can't get rid of the boner like he he kills a bunch of aliens and he's like oh man i still got the hots for that lady to kick me out that window <laughs> um and sure enough she betrays him like again at the end it's very convoluted but uh, her eyes are amazing on mm-hmm. film like she has the most like striking like blue eyes um but i'm looking over her filmography and she's she's been in a lot of schlock but she she has tremendous presence um oh also uh 
she was previously on Catching Up on Cinema in the form of uh, Leviathan. Mm. I think we did an episode on that, maybe. Uh, if not, it's just a movie that I like to watch. Uh, she's the executive in that that Peter Weller punches ah, out at the end. Yes. She usually she usually plays spooky ladies uh, because she got them eyes and she has wonderful stage presence. Um, but as far as I know, she's not like a a super like mainstream famous actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, she played uh, Evil Lynn in uh, Masters of the Universe, the the He Man movie with Dolph Lundgren. I almost forgot about that. Um, but yeah, she she uh, makes a contribution to this film for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, very much. In terms of atmosphere. Uh, yeah, very much. Uh, I was going to say, I, I love the um, I love this little collective of D. Wallace, um, uh, Patricia Quinn, and then the other actress, I'm sorry, I forgot to write her name down. It was uh, Judy Gleason. Uh, I like their dynamic in the film. Um but uh, I guess did you have anything else you want to say about the cast? I just uh, I'll just throw some names out there because uh, as as good as my eye is when it comes to spotting familiar faces, I'm I'm actually floored um, by how many names are in this 1.5 million dollar film. Um, uh, not that they're you know Hollywood stars or anything, but like these are very familiar, very capable actors. So. You mentioned, like, most of the big ones, but apparently uh, Barbara Crampton uh, is in there somewhere. I didn't catch her, but apparently she's in there. Um, and then uh, Clint Howard is also apparently in there. I I don't know how I managed to miss Clint Howard. <laughs> um, uh, Udo Kier, I think I noticed him in a flashback as well. Um, oh. He's probably a blinker. You'll miss it. Uh, apparently there was... he uh, He directed a fiction i think it's a fictional movie that was supposed to take place uh, in the film and it was cut so i think that was the udo kier uh, was part of that yeah and the the last name that i'll toss out here simply because we talked about him last week um is a uh, richard lynch um who was the principal in uh, halloween uh, rob zombies halloween that is. okay um he was to be the i believe is the priest uh, in this film um however he was he was having some really serious health problems apparently he was very ill and was going blind um Mm. so he he showed up to set and was completely incapable of delivering an actual performance so his heart was in it but the body was not able that scene Um, would have been apparently they tried that scene yeah. would have been so yeah. much better with him in it. It was it's still a, a crazy scene, but yeah, I think if he had been but a pre- his, with his with his Ooh. look and his his delivery, it, you'd be really skeezed out. Yeah. <laughs> For in, sure. in ways that the other fella, you know, he he delivers the lines, he brought the energy, but Richard Lynch in that same role, yes, it would have been far more intense, but uh, apparently they had to like uh work around that and that was several minutes of screen time that they had to just kind of figure out uh in post mostly uh so in terms of like complications in production that's the biggest one that i happened upon but uh yeah unfortunately richard lynch isn't in the film and uh last ones i guess are some uh rock musician cameos john five uh, piggy d correct sir uh, John Five uh, do is the you know for- these guys? Yeah, uh, John John Five was formerly the guitarist for uh, Marilyn Manson, uh, and then he left 
he left Marilyn Manson's band, obviously, because Marilyn Manson's a, a complete piece of shit. Uh, and there's a there's an interesting clip of uh, them playing, and he, like he comes out like Manson comes up and kicks John Five, and he like throws his guitar down, and is like super pissed, and then Manson's like, "Fucking, what are you gonna do? Fucking play your instrument, you little shit!" Like it's a really, really. It's a bad power dynamic happening on stage. Uh, and I'm assuming that was probably the straw that broke the camel's back for him. I think shortly after that incident, I think he was done. Uh, but he was the guitarist for Rob Zombie after that. And when I saw Rob Zombie in concert, uh, John Five was the guitarist at that time. Uh, Piggy D, I'm oh, guessing, wow. is just uh, was another one of his bandmates at the time, if I had to guess. If I had to guess, I'd, I'd go with that as well. Uh, John Five is credited as one of the composers uh, for the film score. Mm-hmm. He's a talented. Cool. He's a talented guitarist. Yeah. Uh, a lot. Of, a lot of people that are in are in Rob Zombie's orbit. I would imagine are very, very talented musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we should talk about the movie proper. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, I do. I do like the way that this film opens up. I think that it could have been. He could have been a little bit more conservative with uh, some of the flashback shots, but I do like the way it kind of opens. We just get Sleepy Sherry Moon Zombie present day in a car a uh, bit of a filter on here not quite as dark as payback but there is a bit of a filter on this film which i think i mentioned to you before i'm like there's something cozy about this movie for me um and i think i think where this is shot and kind of some of the sets i just think that this is a, a cozy film and i think the filter lends to that um but we're getting cutbacks from like 1696 and we got some dude just bitching about satan and witches is like these women are witches and the devil and you know where it's headed at that point yeah basically he's he's rattling off all the names of the uh the coven of witches uh, and all the trouble they've been stirring up in Salem in 1696 and this is all delivered via voiceover as he's like scrawling on us like a piece of parchment with a with a quill and pen like quill and ink essentially uh yeah my theory on uh not necessarily the Salem witch trials but like calling women witches I think they were just challenging the authority of the men in charge they were just like that doesn't make any sense you're fucking stupid and they're like she's a witch we gotta burn her <laughs> she's challenging my authority uh because that's the way it feels for this guy at least um yeah so they we have a, co- a coven of witches and they are committing themselves to Satan. <laughs> uh i'm sorry you, you said coven oh, coven yeah, oven yeah. <laughs> coven man. i should have known that that it's was totally, gonna happen it's totally coven coven would be like oven man <laughs> Coven. It's totally Coven. Coven. Uh, Yeah, so these broads are committing themselves to Satan, and we're getting some old naked ladies cackling and dancing. Uh, I think that we could have... I think there's a more efficient way to do this. I think you kind of cut this up and keep splicing between Sherry Moon Zombie. Maybe don't have all them talking. You know what I mean? Like, just kind of shorten this up a bit because it it takes a little while to get through this like we're really holding on holding in on these naked ladies dancing yeah i, I mean it, it maybe obscure some of the details so some of those later flashbacks that we have in the film have more impact you know we're we're, we're taking in new information rather than taking in redundant information it's mm-hmm. like we've already seen them naked like from head to toe we've already seen them stirred up into a frenzy it's like i'm sorry i'm not gonna it's just it's not gonna get me as hard if i've seen it already it's it's gotta be new like give me something new rob um 
but yeah i, I kind of get what you mean by that also it's kind of funny how like the opening shots of the movie are like kyle said a contemporary sherry moon with her real bad hair mm-hmm. um and it feels like the opening of like that that uh, tom hardy movie lock where it's like oh shit are we gonna be trapped in a car with sherry moon for two hours <laughs> but but it's like i'm not sure if that was the right shot to open on though mm-hmm. it's like maybe throw me into the deep end see how that feels where it's like i don't know what the fuck is going on there's there's crazy old ladies in the in the woods they're getting naked they're getting into a frenzy but no we just get like title like title cards sherry moon title card sherry moon oh witches and old old guys writing on parchment okay um but yeah uh, what'd you think of the freeze frame title card kyle oh i didn't catch that Oh, it, it's just a shot of a goat by the by the bonfire, oh. and then we do a freeze frame when it says Lords of Salem. I do like I do like the shots of the goat. I think that is effective. I I thought yeah. that that was that was good. Um, but yeah, we had these old ladies laking old old na- old naked ladies dancing, and then we cut to Coven, mo- man, <laughs> and we cut to a title card that says Monday, and we get a nice palate cleanser. Uh, we get Sherry Moon Zombie uh, sleeping with her ass out, or like sleeping naked <laughs> in a bed. Yeah. Yeah, we do see quite a lot of butt in this movie. Yeah, she's got um, some butt. Yeah, most of it hers. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, yeah. they they seem like like I don't know their their like relationship or anything, but just based on their their works on film, I imagine they're pretty cool with each other. He's got a like, he like, definitely has a he does definitely has a crush on her for sure. Hey, it's enough. <laughs> yeah, but I I want to say it goes both ways because like she wouldn't be so consistent in appearing in all of his films uh, to the extent that she does if, if the relationship wasn't working i had the same uh, so i imagine they're they're i think they're a fine couple i said i had the same uh, thought i was just like internally i'm like i bet they're a, a, a nice tight little couple like I, it's one of those relationships that's gonna that it's gonna go it's gonna go the distance i think uh but she is yeah. sleeping naked asterisks with stockings on which no human person without a webcam on them is sleeping in stockings naked. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. But I, I, I did point out the wardrobe in Halloween. I was like, is it, you know, so, it's like one for me, one for, one for the audience, two for me. <laughs> I, I, I do like his rom-com approach to uh, the living arrangement in this movie. Um, I, so I, apparently this was pretty much shot in Salem. Uh, so I don't know if this is uh, a set that they build or if this is an actual. Ap- it looks like an actual apartment. Uh, like it could just be like one of it could be um, a condo that he owns, and they just filmed it in there because it does seem like it would be a place that he would live. Um, I tried thought was interesting, but this place is a McMansion. It is enormous. Uh, I don't know how expensive it is to live in Salem, uh, but I'm guessing it's probably a little expensive. Kyle, this is a weird one, but um, have you ever seen the movie uh, This Means War? Is that Tom Hardy? Chris Pine and Tom Hardy. Uh, I know of its existence. I think I've seen maybe 30 seconds of it in passing, but no, I I don't think I've seen it all the way through. Okay, well, it's directed by Mick G., uh, who, of course, gave us the Charlie's Angels films and uh, Terminator Salvation, but uh, the only reason I toss it out there, this is an obscure reference, I know, but... um, when I watched it uh, with a lady friend um, a long time ago, the mm. first thing that jumped out at me, the the biggest thing that jumped out at me was the production design in the movie because I was like, 
what the fuck is up with these sets? Like, nobody lives in these places. Nobody's office looks like that. It looked like every set in that movie looks like it, like Ugly Betty or something, where it's, like, weirdly heightened and, like, colorful and over-designed. Or it's like, this is just supposed to be an office. What the fuck is this? It's ridiculous. So, yeah, I, I love the apartment in this movie. I, I like her apartment. Um, this looks like an apartment that you would hang out in. Uh-huh. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Mm-hmm. It's got a trip to the moon trip to the moon mural over her bed. That wouldn't be silent my, film. A trip to the moon. That wouldn't be my my mural, but I would have a black and white black and white mural. Uh, I think that would does, be something. Does it have Beetlejuice tiling as well? Am it's, I wrong on that? I think there's a lot of black and white tiling. There may be some Beetlejuicing, but I I think it was checkered mostly. Um, but she goes out to grab the paper. There's a creepy new tenant. Uh, this is bullshit. Uh, like that she would just, there's like a, a person standing in a doorway, but you can't really make them out very well. You can't really see who it is. And she's like, Oh, hi, are you the new tenant? And they just kind of like shut the door. I'm like, who the fuck is introducing themselves to their neighbors? I've lived in apartment complexes, it, uh, several apartment complexes. I don't know my fucking neighbors. I never introduced myself. They introduced themselves to me. Uh, but I'm like, I don't remember those people. This is crazy. Would you do that? You don't know your neighbors, except to go complain. I'm born and raised in Seattle, yeah. Kyle. The Seattle freeze is real because it's perpetuated by locals like me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I, I carried it's that. True. I carried that over to moving. And I just got an email from my apartment complex that says, "Hey, we're having a Halloween party." I'm like, "Okay, I'm not going to go to that." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember one of my upstairs neighbors doing that years ago, and they were like, hey, you want to come up for a New Year's party? I was like, nope. Nope. <laughs> sure don't. Nope, and keep it down, by the way. <laughs> yep. <laughs> no, they, uh, I didn't say that part, yeah. but it's definitely thought it. But yeah, uh, I will point out, uh, Sherry Moon spends a lot of time on the toilet in this movie, or at least toilet adjacent. I, I don't know why. I just noticed, like, oh, she's going to sit down on the toilet. Okay. It doesn't contribute anything to the film. I just noticed, like, we do go in the bathroom a lot in this film. Uh, so I'm I'm going to keep a, a counter running in the back of my head. But, Ding! Okay. Yeah, there's a, mi- there's a mystery lady uh, down the hall in room number five, all the way at the, at the end of the hall. And uh, nope, uh, they are not going to talk to Sherry Moon. They are not going to be cordial and introduce themselves. Uh, and uh, Sherry Moon, uh, she throws back some pills at breakfast that uh, we never know what those are but it's just a little detail and by the way the doggo in this troy movie yeah no. troy, troy's the mvp of the movie dog's <laughs> name is troy in the movie and his real name is troy he is the mvp i do remember uh um a video or like maybe it's like on mtv at one point but they just like happened to catch uh rob zombie and sherry moon zombie outside their apartment complex walking a dog uh, I think this is very possible this is actually their dog. Uh, I don't remember what the dog was when they were walking it, but uh, yeah, they're, they're dinks. Double income, no kids, I think. Uh, they're just, yeah, that's their style. Uh, maybe that's why I like them. It's like, yeah, they've got a good relationship because they don't have anything. They don't have anybody draining the life out of them. <laughs> <laughs> Not that kids are a, a burden to everybody, I'm just saying. Yeah. But, but yeah, Troy is at breakfast, and he's absolutely adorable mm-hmm. all the way through mm-hmm. this movie. Every scene, he steals every scene he's in, and yeah. he tries to get some of that breakfast and yeah. say, no, no, shoot. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, it, when you, we get a couple of shots showing, like, the breadth of the entire apartment. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is a palace, as Kyle said. Yeah. Uh, 
it's it's massive it's like you work in radio lady oh <laughs> in <dude>. 2012 <laughs> you, you jumped the gun we haven't even let, well, let's i'm gonna step on the gas so we can get there because we got to talk about that uh so okay, now, let's go meet lacy then <laughs> well i was gonna say let's meet lacy the property manager uh she is a tenant in the building as well i think she's a bit of the like she's the one that they pay rent to um so knowing how tight they are like they seem to be chatty at least a little bit more than just you know going back and forth maybe she goes down there for tea occasionally i don't really know um but yeah she talks to her she's like hey what's up with that new tenant she's like there's no new tenant she's like yeah there is there's somebody up there she's like no there's not like well i think there is She's like all right well i'll I'll check it out maybe uh see ya and she we do see lacy going up there and she just like knocks on the door and is like hey good enough for me (laughs) just walks out i mean in retrospect it's like maybe she was checking if it was still locked rather Mm -hmm. than checking if anyone was in there Awesome. Uh, who knows but yeah we do actually get to see her do it but uh we take troy for walksies in the evening in the evening uh, yes. and uh this is where the score uh starts to make itself apparent and uh this was done by john five uh who as kyle had said was a a bandmate of uh, rob zombie or marilyn manson or both uh and uh griffin boyce uh, who is not a name that i recognize however uh i will I will say straight up, uh, there's there are some lovely compositions in this film, and this is probably the strongest one. Uh, it's like a, a haunting piano melody that plays a handful of times in the movie, and uh, the signature of the whole movie is more than likely the record that we'll get into later. Um, but just on the whole, I'd just like to point out that this movie does have a pretty nifty score um, that's probably not talked about often. Um, and uh, we get to work, right? Yeah. Uh, we learned that we are in Salem, Massachusetts. Uh, we were filming this right at the right time because I do feel like there uh, there's some foliage going on. This would be the perfect time to go to Salem, I would assume. Uh, but yes, we learned that she works for a morning a morning zoo radio show. Uh, I are they a late night show or are they a morning? Are they early morning? I think it's both, honestly. Okay. Um, so this is. I mean, by 2012, I don't think these people exist anymore. I think this is like something from like the 70s or 80s where we had late night talk show hosts. I remember that was the ladies' man uh, bit on Saturday Night Live was he was like that late night call-in show. But I think that was still supposed to be like cable, like public access cable show. So there was actually like a video component. These are just three people in a room talking to the just the airspace. It's also a metal show. And they're also number one, as we learn later. So, <laughs> number one, where? <laughs> I, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand this. I remember I did a radio broadcasting class in high school for my senior year, uh, and it, it was like three three of my three of my seven classes I could take. Uh, and I remember uh, our teacher was like, "If you guys want to work in radio, it's it's fun." But we also had somebody come in who works in radio. They're like, "Don't work in radio. You will work long hours." for no money there's no job security it's on its way out and that was in like 2007 (laughs) when i was told that so when you get to 2012 you're like how is this even a thing anymore yeah i uh my high school actually had a radio station and i actually wasn't on air talent for a while like i took classes and also had to do like additional hours outside of class hours and uh yeah, that was that was even earlier than that, and the writing was on the wall. Um, and also, it needs to be said that was a publicly funded radio station. Um, so, like, 
pretty much everybody in that booth was in there out of the kindness of their own heart mm-hmm. and everything else was up to charity um as far as i know that radio station is still going uh, it helps that there's a, a school attached to it so people feel guilty and open their wallets every once in a while yeah uh but their their guest is a black metal band uh and i think we see some shots of their video and they have at least i think two of them are in studio uh and they're talking about black metal shit um <laughs> they're up in the, their paint but you think since he likes to write dialogue you think he would have written a bit more for these this morning zoo crew to do because they're not really doing anything with their like we don't really see their dynamic that much yeah i i mean i've, I've said this the past couple of weeks as well um I want to say Rob Zombie allows for quite a lot of improvisation on the set. Um, and it helps when you have, you know, heavy hitters like Ken Foray and Sid Haig and Bill Mosley to, you know, some extent that can just go. Like, you put them and you give them context, you give them motivation, and they can just go. Um, a little different when you have maybe a different mix of actors. I'm looking at you, Sherry Moon. Mm-hmm. Like,. She's a fine screen presence, but a a tremendous actress she is not. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it was a little more stilted than than it would be if you had, you know, your your straight-up aces, uh, aces only in the room. Um, But this is where editing uh, is your best fucking friend, where instead of having long back-and-forth conversations, you you just make a montage out of it Mm -hmm. to show some, some... vignettes here and there of like just snippets yeah just show the highlights yeah Yeah. and they don't even have to change the lighting scheme you just you just cut around and change the ambient music to make to give the viewer the sensation that time is passing but um yeah i i will point out that i think the uh the music video they show of the black metal band uh, i think that's where our uh, musician cameos are like because they're in full makeup ah, and they're not acting they're okay. just screaming into the camera okay. wielding guitars i love black metal music videos and live concerts i do not like black metal but i find it to be a fascinating uh medium and i just enjoy watching it and just observing and i don't it's just just one of those it's a style of music that i just do not understand i don't understand the appeal yeah i used to work with a little filipino guy uh, he was awesome uh he he was really into all sorts of metal uh he introduced me a couple of iron maiden tracks that i had not heard before uh, so he expanded my library a little bit so i have to thank him for that if he's listening um but he was really into black metal and mm-hmm. like you I, I that was territory I could not follow. I was like, "You've gone too far, my little friend. I cannot follow." <laughs> I, I, because I actually have um, my friends in Seattle. Uh, they are a, a very interesting group. Uh, I have three of them that went to high school together, and they are the Metal Society. They you if you met them, you'd be like, "You listen to that stuff?" And like, yeah, uh, fascinating guys. But because of them, I have found a few songs over the years in that style i'm like okay i could kind of get into this but they they go into the depths of whatever the fuck (laughs) i'm like i do not get it guys sorry um yeah in general it's not a genre that has much appeal to me personally but you know if you if you put the right piece of music in front of me and and it works yeah of course i'm gonna acknowledge that i'm not closed-minded this is so i i was ranting about that to get to this it's just like they're, this is their guest, though. It's a very, very even within the metal scene, it is a very niche group. Uh, so I'm wondering, are they 
are they spotlighting different types of uh, metal, or are they exclusively like uh, showing black metal up and comers? Or I, I just didn't understand what the format of the show was. I mean, a better movie with a you know more detail oriented <laughs> script would have talked about you know the death of radio and would have gone into like the aspect of of this being like purely a passion project where it's like we're we're doing the thing that we absolutely love but we have day jobs in addition to working at this radio station because the thing just isn't financially viable anymore um but yeah uh we get a we get a a little bit of a montage here where it's just it's just like quips here and there where it's oh and uh we get a lot of different changes in music for you know the reputation of the the station being metal oriented we also get some fucking rick james at one point yeah give it to me Um, (laughs) i mean i'm not gonna object to that i would if i was listening to this program i would be ecstatic but you know if i i would say rick james rick james's bangers slap still like when uh super freak comes on you stop what you're doing you're like all right i'm gonna listen to it yeah give it to me baby give it to me baby (laughs) give it to me Give it to me, baby. It's, it's fucking catchy. There's a reason why he was so awesome. Uh, he he put out some bangers, and I think he was uh, probably like a a producer on uh, Party All the Time, uh, the Eddie Murphy. Classic. Oh, he 100 percent was. <laughs> yeah, he absolutely was. I mean, he's in the fucking music video for yeah. sure. Oh, I, I love that music. I video. assume he, it was all him. It's one of my favorite music videos. I love that music video so much because it's just 80s cheese. It's great. Uh, <laughs> I just love how serious everybody is in the booth. Oh, where they're just like, oh, yeah, he's yeah. giving it to us. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's speaking the truth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's God, giving him the Kyle's hand. Doing the... <laughs> like, bring it up. Oh, yeah. Br- bring it home. And yeah, Kyle's go. giving the bring it oh, up hand motion. <laughs> I love that music video. Um, but yeah, so... Uh, it's wonderful. I love that song. <laughs> it, it, it is catchy. Um, I, but yeah, so after the, our shift is done, I think the next crew's coming in. We're doing some shots. Like, we're doing some drinking. Uh and which is like, don't you guys have to drive home? Um, one of them does. Yeah. Um, but apparently, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they leave to go downstairs. Uh, the front desk person is still there, which is insane because she's like, there's just a lady sitting down in this room with like no radio or anything. It's got to be like four o'clock in the morning, maybe. Uh, and there's a wooden box uh, downstairs for Sherry Moon Zombie. It's like specifically for her. I think there's a record in it. Um, but she ends up. Uh, uh, Herman ends up riding his bike home with her. Like she, they just kind of walk back to her place, um, and I think Herman plays the record. Like they're just kind of like she makes some pancakes. They're hanging out or whatever. He looks like he's trying to pounce. Like he's kind of just playing the the long the long game here, <laughs> and he is ugly as fuck. Uh, so he's he's really really trying. I was about to say he looks like rob zombie if you put rob zombie in like a microwave or something yeah that is uh, yeah i was gonna say uh, <laughs> that is a perfect description yeah um but yeah he uh sees so hanging out and he ends up playing this record and she kind of just like kind of zones out or almost like just like gets really tired all of a sudden uh and then we get this weird witch flashback yeah, it needs to be said, like, as they're getting ready to play the record, uh, the film, you know, they're doing some of that filmmaking shit. Rob Zombie is a filmmaker. He does have decent instincts. Uh, <clears throat> they do have, like, a, a dolly back shot uh, from apartment number five. 
So basically, it, this is the visual language informing you, the viewer, that, oh, you should be associating this record with this ominous location that we saw at the beginning of the movie. But um, by the way, Kyle, uh, I noticed she she was whipping up some sort of batter or making like there's something goopy in a bowl. It was pancakes? Yeah, because they're eating pancakes that's in this what, next scene. That's right. Uh, that's what I thought it was. And it, I remember seeing that when I was watching the movie and being very hungry. Yeah. I was like, oh, pancakes. Yeah, I think Pan- 4 a.m. pancakes? Oh, I haven't had those in decades. I don't have any syrup. Oh, do, wait, hang on. Hang on. Sorry. Pause. I don't. I've got the stuff to make pancakes, but I don't have syrup, which is a real bummer because now I really want pancakes. It's actually all I can think of. I'm sorry. They were... <laughs> Well, right, there's, there goes the in. podcast. Thanks for saying, tuning in to Catching Up on Cinema. i got to get to the store before it closes. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, uh, the witch flashback. The record. Yeah, go for it, yeah. Uh, the record, Kyle. Do you want to try to describe what it sounds like? Because dun, we hear it multiple times. Is that close enough? Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> Basically, it, it's just like I I want to say that this is one of those compositions where they they probably fabricated new instruments to make or something. I know that is something that like sound technicians like to do, like make instruments from found objects or whatever, or use antiquated materials and whatnot. Because we do actually see some of the instruments uh, in the film anyway. They're supposed to be conveying these sounds. And it's like, it's like a, a bone violin or some shit where it's like a, it's essentially just like a piano wire stuck between an animal's jaw being raked over a viola or something. Um, but yeah, it's, it's this like really ominous drone, uh, with occasional thumping percussion and what sounds like some kind of uh, vacuum bag or something like you'd find on like a bagpipe or something like you can hear some like air blowing through something but it's hard to tell exactly what it is but i i thought it was really neat uh like john five griffin boyce you did you did great uh it it really is an ominous piece of music that occasionally does get under your skin like mostly through repetition but it it works but uh, again say what you will about marilyn manson um he's uh, had an interesting sound, and he's kind of, his sound has changed since from like the '90s to like present day. Uh, it's just taken on different like it's been more rock, it's been more industrial. Um, I do believe um, Dope Hat has a theremin in it, and I do remember reading in his autobiography that he reached out to Anton Leve- uh, Anton, the, the the founder of the Church of Satan. Um, oh. he, he reached out to him to play theremin on the record because he was apparently the only registered theremin player in, uh, I guess, wherever he was at. But it wouldn't surprise me that John Five would probably know how to play some kind of obscure instruments. Yeah, no, it, that's my suspicion, is that the, the actual instrumentation of this composition is probably very arcane, uh, or if not unique. Um but it sounds lovely. Uh, well, not lovely, but it's interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, we do get a vision uh, as uh, they're listening to the music playing on on uh, Trey Moon's home record player. Um, and we get to see this coven of witches that we had seen at the beginning of the movie uh, perform a C-section on a, on a woman who doesn't seem especially thrilled about it. <laughs> um, and then they, <laughs> they yank that baby. Is anybody happy about the C-section? Lady. 
I mean, if you give them the right drugs, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and especially after nine months of that shit, of course. Yeah, <laughs> just, just get it, cut it out. Cut, cut um, it out. Yeah, good job. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, they yanked that baby out of that lady. And uh, what's her face? Meg Foster. <laughs> she spits on that baby. <laughs> she is so displeased with the look of that baby. That, that fake, not quite animatronic, more than likely just a puppet baby, that she spits on it. And I'm pretty sure they yank that baby's head off off screen or something. Oh, damn. Because, uh, they, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure you do see, like, a dead baby at some point in this movie. The point is, the baby ain't the baby they wanted. Yeah. Um, they wanted a special baby, and this baby ain't that. Um, and I think we cut back to Sherry Moon and yeah. uh, Herman. it's bedtime. Oh, Herman and Herman. Yeah, very abruptly. I think their name Yeah, I just put that together, actually, that he, many years later... Uh, 10 years later would go on to play herman munster so rob zombie has never been shy about you know indicating his love for the munsters i mean yeah even with my limited like base of knowledge in regards to like his uh music videos and whatnot i seem to recall the car uh in dragula is basically the munster mobile um so he's he's always had like a fixation on that so it's it's no surprise that maybe even if it wasn't obvious in 2012 this guy playing this character Herman was intentionally named that because Rob Zombie has an affinity for the monsters. Um, So yeah, she's going to go to bed and she's like, Oh, I guess I'll take off. She's like, you can crash on the couch. He's like, really? Like the couch? She's like, yeah, the fucking couch. You're ugly as shit, dude. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) she's tired to go to bed. And then we get some, we get some jump scares, not jump scares, but like some, would you call these jump scares? Where, we now, now that, that's an interesting element of this movie, that uh, the theater experience is something that I, I very seldom am privy to, but it's something that I occasionally have to remind myself, is it myself, I'm, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not a plural, um, that uh, it makes a, a world of difference in terms of the presentation of a film. Um, so seeing this movie in a, a darkened theater with a crowd of you know of teenagers obviously <laughs> like, yeah. would probably make moments like this have considerably more impact than they do me watching it alone uh, in midday on a laptop. <laughs> um, so what Kyle is referring to here is we get this shot. It's a tracking shot following Sherry Moon walking from the kitchen back to her bedroom, and as she passes the bed uh, the bathroom, uh, there is a naked woman. Uh, covered in ash and looking like a sickly, sickly green, uh, just standing in the room, just staring outward. And the character nor the film acknowledges it, but it's just one of those things that in the theater, I bet, was like a gasp-worthy moment. But streaming it on a laptop, no. It, it's just kind of like, oh, that was a naked lady in there. <laughs> it's <a> Tuesday. <laughs> I, I told you you should watch this with headphones and not take notes. I did. But you watched it on a laptop. You didn't watch it on the on, I, on the TV. I, I worked with what I had. The girlfriend Underst- was asleep. Understandable. <laughs> I understand. Hey, you don't have to tell me. Uh, but that's the end of that day, and we get into Tuesday. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, Sherry Moon begins the day. By the way, the character's name is Heidi. Heidi. Um, but we're probably just going to continue calling her Sherry Moon. That's easier. Sure. Um, she begins the day at an addiction program. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she has to go to a group meeting where everybody's gathered in a circle. She's largely a non-participant, but this is where that is introduced as an element of her character and her past. Uh, and then she goes back to work. Uh, and uh, 
more bullshitting in the booth essentially yeah. uh, we get to learn that ken Forey is off the dairy uh me too ken Forey. <laughs> me For too but not reasons. by choice yeah. <laughs> so, um, and uh this is where we are introduced to an important character in the film uh played by one bruce davison i i like this kind of character the character that's trying to put it together like like doing the research he's my favorite character in the film not that there's that many to choose from but i like the way he's written i like the way that he i think bruce davison's good in this he plays this like because we see him in awkward social interactions and he has to play to those interactions and i think he does a good job um but i him with the the book guy, I'm like, this is a great scene. I love I love uh, them putting that together. Um, yeah, Bruce Davison is a is a huge boon to this film. Like, I'm, I agree with you. He's my favorite part of it by far. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, uh, previously uh, on Catching Up on Cinema in the form of uh, X Men, uh, where he played, I believe, Senator Kelly in that film, and also he was in the second one as well. But um, yeah, I, I really like his demeanor in this, mm-hmm. uh, especially because it's so foreign to Rob Zombie films in particular. Like, he's actually just like a normal, cool guy. Yeah, he's just a... And he's, he's yeah. always trying to be pleasant and polite, and he, he's, even when he's digging, like, even when he's probing people for information and stuff, he's always cordial, and you can tell that he, he has a good heart. Yeah, it, um, and that's that's such a rarity in Rob Zombie's filmography. He seems like a real person. <laughs> Which he do, yeah, actually, that that's that's the thing. Yeah. That that's the major difference is that we seldom get that character in any of Rob Zombie's, even the Expendables in in his you know Devil's Rejects type films and stuff. Even those people don't quite feel like real people usually. I think he's here to ground us. Like I think it it, yes. it grounds the film in like showing how bizarre these other characters are because he's like you've seen my movies right you've seen how crazy everybody is okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna try to narrow that a little bit in this movie i'm gonna try to hone that in and i think yeah i i think that bruce davidson is great francis uh matthias is that how you say this I believe so. Yeah. Uh, he's got a book about the Salem witch trials, and he kind of gives a few like little factoids to them. And they're like, ah, cool, whatever. Um, and then I think they talk about uh, the, the record that was brought in. Like, we're, they're going to play this record over the, uh, over the airwaves. But this was the strangest. This took me forever to figure out what this was about. So we get a cut to a, a pizza place. And we, yeah. a guy is on the phone. He's like, yeah, well, I, I guess I'll bring it to you later. Okay. And it's like the fuck kind of segue was that like what's the pizza place have to do with anything um yeah my note says pizza place question mark because it it they jumped the gun a little bit like i think they 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 put this clip in the the clip has a place in the film it's just a one or two shots too early (laughs) it's like whoa what pizza (laughs) what are we doing um but yeah uh we start playing the record at some point um, but what we're doing here is we're queuing up the viewer uh, to to the circumstances there to follow. So we go, we cut to the pizza place, and we see that there's a, a like a a woman bussing tables there, and then we cut away from that to a woman listening to the radio on the turlet, um, <laughs> because again, she's about to get count a two. She's about to get. I know, shower. but toilet count two, no three actually, if you include the naked lady uh, mm. cherry moon's place so we got mm. three toilets now um 
and we start playing the record on the air on a segment called Smash or Trash, where I guess basically they they play a, a piece of music and then the hosts of the radio program decide if it's good or not. Um, but now the, t- the timing doesn't make sense now, Trevor. This doesn't make any sense because this is clearly not 4 o'clock in the morning. Like, these are different... This is a different time of day. We've got a guest that's pretty early. It's a you have guests in the daytime. You don't. I don't think you tend to have guests in the evening. But there's people listening to them, which is also questionable. Yeah, that's what I want to do when I'm about to take a shower. Put on the fucking radio <laughs> to listen to my my local uh, metal station. <laughs> I mean, I like the metal, but I don't need to listen to my local metal station as I'm taking a shit or something. Yeah, uh, that's what podcasts are for. Uh, subscribe. Yep. Uh, so the band is called Lords of Salem, uh, according to the uh, the receptionist who gave the the record to Sherry Moon. And um, and yeah, and um, Francis. Uh, well, actually, I think it just says the Lords on the on the box, but then I think um, Ken Foray says the Lords of Salem. I guess we're calling them the Lords of Salem. Um, and Francis is just like, huh, very very strange and. This music plays, and he's like, oh, there's uh, there's something off about this. My spider senses are tingling. Uh, there's something <laughs> wrong. Yeah, uh, so he is unnerved by it, and we do see that Sherry Moon uh, is a little more than that uh, by it. Like, she seems physically ill listening to this. But um, what follows is uh, uh, several vignettes showing women, presumably all around the town, um, kind of being entranced by the music like just stopping whatever they're doing and just staring off into space so uh, we get a woman a naked lady preparing to get into the shower we get the woman busting tables we get like uh, i think somebody at a repair shop or something but point is they're all women and they're all mesmerized by this music um anyway bruce davison is about to he he like heads home and we get to meet his wife Yes, uh, who's played by Maria Conchita Alonso. Yes, who's been on the show. She is uh, from Predator 2. Excellent character in Predator 2. Um, she's in a movie that we are going to eventually have to watch someday, which is Colors, uh, with Sean Penn and Robert Duvall. Excellent movie. Um, but yeah, I love this. Um, she's uh, having some wine and painting. Uh, and I think, I'm not sure about their apartment. I love their style. Uh, I think we get a better look at it later, but it is it is adult as hell. Like it is a really good looking living situation. I think it's a loft. Yeah, we got a lot of sweaters in this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I was about to say, virtually every apartment in this film, I could see you living in very happily. Kind of. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just leave it at that. But what's really funny about this pairing is that, especially Bruce Davison, honestly, is um, I know a guy. Uh, who kind of looks like this and we most certainly bears a style very similar to this. So, like, the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh, man, I haven't talked to that guy in a while. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it brought back memories. Um, but, yeah, uh, there's eclectic paintings and, like, really expensive furniture all over the place. But they got, like, brick walls on the like in the interior and whatnot. So it's a very... Uh, it's a very eclectic environment, but Dude, it looks it looks pretty fucking cool. They have a moment later that I'm going to highlight because it really just hit home for me. It, I could really relate to it, but I'll I'll, when we get, I'll, I'll explain it when we get there. Um, but yeah, he gets home and he's like, "Hey, did you hear the interview?" She's like, "Of course I did." He's like, "What do you think about the music?" And she's like, "Eh, I didn't really care for it." And he's just like, "He's he's he's like, it really bugged me. There's something that's off about it." And she's like, "Okay, 
whatever. Uh, <laughs> you deal with that. Um, and then I think this is where we get a scene with uh, Herman is like kind of a bit jealous. Uh, I think she said that maybe Bruce Davidson was kind of handsome or he was kind of good looking. And Herman's just like, oh, you know, super jealous, neckbeard. Um, or are we calling him an incel? Nah, he's not. He's not quite there. <laughs> no, he, he he has he has some game. He has some social skills. Yeah, <laughs> he's got some game. Um, he's not much to look at, but he can talk. I mean, for fuck's sake, he talks for a living. I hope so. Um, but yeah, then we get um, then we get Heidi going home, and the property manager's there. She's like, "Hey, my sisters are in town. You should come down for some tea." And she's like, "No." Okay, fine. Let me go let the dog out. She doesn't let the dog out. Also, this is bullshit. This dog does not jump on her when she comes home. I have a fucking lab, and as soon as I get home, she just tackles me. Like, she, immediately, she is all over me. She cannot get down, like, she can't get on me quick enough. And this dog just kind of, like, she opens the door, shuts, and he comes in. Like, hey, how's it going? She feeds him. She never takes him out. It's fine. Uh, but she goes downstairs, and it's, her sisters are D. Wallace, and I'm just going to call her Magenta. Patricia Quinn. Magenta. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to get her uh, dinner, or master dinner is prepared from, uh, from Rocky Horror, but I didn't get a chance. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we we get them, uh, oh, I don't think we've, we have to get the witch lady in the kitchen first. Yeah, uh, so we cut away from that, that greeting uh, to join the sisters and whatnot to uh, the lights uh, suspended above the hallway uh, heading into apartment number five the spooky apartment remember uh, they're swinging uh, just on their own so something jostled them or there's some bad juju in the air or something i'm gonna go with the um, ladder and yes we <laughs> we do get a spooky lady again uh, so I, she was in the bathroom she, th- this one was better this one was a little bit better this was a better little little jump scare because nah, not not expecting it this time i wasn't expecting it this time uh, again, the laptop killed it for me. Where it's like it's such a tiny frame. And oh, actually, I know what killed it for me. It wasn't the laptop. I, I can defend this. Uh, so, the shot is just a Sherry Moon comes in the front door. Her apartment is dark, and the camera pans over slightly to the right as she comes into the room, still dark. Um, and her dog, as Kyle had said, doesn't jump on her, but comes to greet her. And she's getting she's like feeding the dog, basically just putting its food out. <laughs> And then when the lights come up in the far right of the frame, uh, the naked creepy lady is standing on the like the kitchen counter, like all the way to the farthest corner of the room, and Sherry Moon doesn't notice it. Now, what ruined it for me is a weird filmmaking thing that maybe this would have played on a big screen, where you know, you, like if you have the proper seating, you can take in the whole frame at once. But what ruined it for me was that damn dog. Because I saw the dog, and I heard the dog, and I had headphones on, so the stereo was, like, telling me, like, auditorially where where the dog was. So I was, my eye line was following the fucking dog, which is on the other side of the frame. So when, when the lights came up, I was, like, looking for the dog, and then I saw the lady, and I was like, oh, oh. whatever, where's the dog? <laughs> so I was, like, I was preoccupied looking for the cute dog rather than, you know, being surprised by the jump scare mm. um yeah there's well, a spooky lady in the kitchen you know what i just realized uh i'm gonna bring up hereditary again i watched that movie on a laptop that's even smaller than the one i have now like, it was a tiny little shitty laptop and that movie had such an impact so when i watched it on the full screen again like on the big screen oh man uh it really does make a difference <laughs> because it was even more powerful the second time um 
Yeah, that that might be a, a New Year's resolution for me to go see more movies because I very, very, very <laughs> seldom do. Go see more movies, not see more movies. Yeah. Go see more movies. Yes, just go go out, be with people, Trevor. dude. You need to, <laughs> you need to take advantage of uh, Central Cinema and Capitol Hill. They play they only play two movies a month and they rotate them. But you gotta. I don't. It's probably Evil Dead this month. You gotta. You gotta check it out. Like, just see what Central Cinema have playing this month before they close down. Because uh, me and the girlfriend want to start to go to the theater in Ballard uh, um, more often. Oh, because I've only been there like once. But it, it's a. It's a nice, you know, institution. Like it's a neighborhood theater that does get some nice movies in there. So it, it it's on the docket. It's something I would very much like to change because I, I so seldom go to the fucking theater. And it, you're absolutely right. It does make a difference. Um, I'm going to try to go uh, this weekend. Uh, let's see here. Um, so this scene, D. Wallace was starting to annoy me uh, this time around uh, because of her performance. She's very spunky and just like, um, like very, she seemed very fake. Like she was like, putting on a face um but then like patricia quinn is just very much like oh like like ominously <laughs> she's got she i love her voice she has such like uh she has such a, a a charming voice when she when she says like when she answers the phone later it's great um yeah but, uh how about you look up the word lush uh, in the dictionary <laughs> and you will find patricia quinn's performance yes um <laughs> Uh, dang it. Palm reading. Palm reading. I was like, what happens here? Um, yeah, palm reading. She reads her palm, and I guess it kind of upsets her. I don't know what's said. Uh, but D. Wallace, uh, Wallace kind of scolds her. She's like, you always get so per Like, you always take it too far. And she just kind of like, eh, shrugs it off. But she ends yeah, up... So yeah. Patricia Quinn kind of cements herself as, like, kind of the more abrasive mm -hmm. of the three sisters. Um, and yeah, she reads Sherry Moon's palm, and we do actually get an interesting line here uh, about like the something about the brain being directly connected to your hand somehow. I don't know if that's true; could be total bullshit. But uh, the line that was interesting to me was uh, the distinction between destiny and fate, um, which I, I'm not positive if this actually is true or not. But the way she categorizes it is destiny is something that you can premeditate in order to you can essentially take action to influence the outcome or, or arrange that you will get to said outcome uh, whereas fate is entirely beyond you so this is where we're hinting at what's to come for the Heidi character where it's like hmm maybe fate uh, is at work here in terms of wh where this character is gonna go but yeah things get oogie uh, so Heidi hightails it out of there. Uh, so for Trevor and any other Seattle listeners or King County listeners, this month at Central Cinema on Capitol Hill, right across Chuck's Hop Shop, we have The Toxic Avenger, Cabin in the Woods, playing this week. Then we've got uh, Trick or Treat, and then Hasu, or House, as you may know it, the, the Japanese horror film. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then we also have... Uh, Heckle Vision, A Nightmare on Elm Street. I think that's where you can go and like quote the movie and stuff like that. Uh, talk some shit. Talk some shit. Then we've got The Room, The Craft, and then Hollow uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, if you needed a reason to go, I think that would be top. That would be on the top. There is has uh, the girlfriend seen John Carpenter's Halloween? Did you get to that yet? We have not gotten to it, but I have gotten her to agree uh, to check it out. Okay. Is there a better way to do that than to take her to the theater and have her see it up on the big screen? That's that's the best. 
<laughs> yeah, it might have to happen. Well, I'll 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 talk at her. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll move us along here. Uh, I actually really like this scene coming up. I don't know what you thought of it. I thought it was it was interesting. Um, so she wakes up in the middle of the night and uh, uh, Sherry Moon, uh, and the door is open to her front do- uh, like her front door is open. And she doesn't really notice it. I think she goes to get like a bottle of water or something, and she hears her dog barking. The dog's out in the hall barking at that room, that uh, door number five, and uh, she takes the dog back in, and then she ends up uh, like about to. She's about to go inside, and then the door just kind of opens, and we have this really long scene of her like just puzzled and curious, and she just walks into the room, and the door just shuts, and then we have this big neon red neon cross up on the wall that she ends up going to stare at. She stares at. Yeah, uh, the when the door was open in the hallway, we could see the the neon lighting bleeding out into the hallway. But yeah, when the door sh- shuts behind her, which was done quite well, where it's it's very subdued, it's very subtle, something that Rob Zombie films are not generally known for. Um, but yeah, she goes in there, and it's essentially just an entirely empty room, and the positioning of the camera is skillful. Like like, like this is the proper angle to shoot this particular space from it looks it looks pretty neat um but she's like mesmerized by the cross on the wall because she just outstretches her arms towards it Mm -hmm. and just stares blankly at it and then we cut from her looking at the cross to the same angle that we had seen when she came into the room and all of a sudden uh fucking bigfoot's there devil Uh, harry from harry and the hendersons (laughs) is in there (laughs) I i think he's got some horns but yeah it's a devil yeti um it's it's kind of it's like it's kind of funny at first like it's kind of comical it's like that's the devil thing and then you see like uh we get like a shot of like it looks like it's in hell with like some other like demon things and it's i I thought it was kind of a cool shot i thought it was interesting um instead of just having like a traditional devil like uh i love that movie the witch but man that scene at the end where she bargains with the devil and it's just some dude with a goatee i'm like okay that's kind of stupid um but yeah, I thought this was kind of neat. And then I think we get, um, I, I don't remember if uh, Homegirl is like speaking to her directly, but they're like, are they saying breed us a king? I believe that's what's being said, yeah. Uh, bleed, bleed, bleed us, us a, a king. king. Okay. Um, yes. One letter makes a difference. Um, <laughs> but yes, this is a, a bit of a hypnosis dream. Um, and I think there's a, there's a witch in the hallway as well. Yeah, the the presentation of the Satan in this film, um, I I thought it was fine. Yeah. Like it's never comical. Like it it is a dude in a big Chewbacca outfit essentially with long claws. Like no no joke about it. That is what it is objectively. But like when you think about it for a second, it's like eh, it kind of makes sense. Where it's like a lot of sixteen ninety six, you know, religious viewpoint was it was about temperance and whatnot. Where it's about it's about restraining id and human instinct and whatnot. So like, how better to represent the darker side of humanity than a pr- more primitive, primitive image yeah. of humanity? So like a, a prehistoric man as opposed to like a quote enlightened hairless man. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, that that vision of the the Satan with his buddies uh, in the fire with the like twisted uh, tree limbs and whatnot around them was it's kind of cool. neat. And we yeah. do see it. 
we do see that set a couple more times in the movie um but it, it's a neat image uh, like rob zombie does have an eye for imagery mm-hmm. um but yeah we dolly in on heidi as she steps out of apartment number five and uh we get narration uh from uh, meg foster i believe so the, like the lead witch uh from 1696 and it's something about sound of the clouds scent of the wind all becoming one uh deceivers gathering around us and then the I guess the most important part um, and the one that is uh, not especially PC by American standards. Uh, you Cut. are the blade. Ble- bleed the cunting daughters of Salem. Bleed us a king. Yeah, cunt, cunt is one of those words that, you you know, it's just not socially acceptable in this country. But if, Are you saying cunt? Sometimes, man. Cunt is not socially acceptable say, in this country. Cunt. Okay. Well, uh, bleed yeah breed, breed us a king kyle that that's the thing you can't say in public yeah. obviously yeah, whatever whatever <laughs> cunt um <laughs> uh yeah and i think she ends up it's just like a hypnosis dream she might wake up i don't really remember um but uh we get to wednesday and uh she's taking a a lovely stroll through the cemetery with her dog which i actually live right next to a cemetery and i honestly thought about doing this today because it's a good loop like it's a it's a pretty big cemetery i'm like i think i could just do that but i'm like watching this and i'm like is that okay? Can I can I just walk? Oh, I'm sorry. The other night, I went out. It was like maybe 9.30 to take the dogs out for their final potty break. And I look over, and on there is a whole line. There's got to be like 100 cyclists cycling at night through this graveyard. So I, I don't know what that was all about. That was really strange. That they sure don't give a shit. So I should be able to walk the dogs. Yeah, I mean, if they can ride through a, a fucking cemetery with baseball cards in their spokes and whatnot, then <laughs> you should be able to take a dog through there to take a shit on someone's grandpa's burial ground. I think this was a different caliber, maybe not a kid from a Stephen King movie, um, but uh, uh, yeah, cemetery walk. Then she gets to this church, um, and then she's chatting with this priest, and he kind of just gives her a look like, what are you doing here? Like, he knows her or something, so... You're kind of curious. I'm like, does she does she know this guy? But she doesn't. Um, she he like sits there. She's like, can I just sit here? And he's like, yeah, that's fine. You can you can sit here. And he starts to make. He it looks like he's about to make a move on her. Like you can see him doing like a weird like creepy crawly hand movement he's, around he's her shoulder. He's doing the reach around. Yeah, but he's he's like he's. <laughs> it's going in steps like he's not just committing straight to it he's not doing the yawn and then stretching out he's like uh and then this scene just takes a turn that i did not remember uh the first time and you say what what was the actor's name who had health issues Uh, richard lynch if he had played this this would have been i think an extra point so this is a 5.2 on imdb out of 10 this would have been a 6.2 if he had been in this scene yeah, I I can see it. I can see it playing out in my head. And yes, he he would have brought a slimy sleaziness to it, just a a level of discomfort uh, that the scene could have benefited from. But uh, this fella does his best. Um, but uh, he before he reaches around her, like puts his hand on her shoulder, like he calls her a sad girl. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh... that's presumptuous. <laughs> um, and then sure enough, that's when the hand stuff starts. It's like, oh, something bad's about to happen. And yeah, uh, it happens because um, he just goes off on this diatribe about um, there's a war raging in heaven and uh, you're a great big fuck up and Satan's not the way. And uh, 
yeah, uh, he puts her head in his lap, and we don't see nothing, uh, but uh, put, we know what's going on. We know what's going on. Uh, I was, yeah, she's, yeah, I was watching this, and I didn't realize this was a dream when it was happening. I'm like, man, she really just like gave into that really quick. I feel like she would have given much more of a fight, but uh, she's dreaming. Uh, this was a bit of a, a daydream she's having, and she like snaps back. Uh, and the priest is like, you okay? Are you good? It's the same guy, but he's not a creep. He's just, you know, genuinely concerned. Yeah, um, yeah he pukes blood, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we all, Trevor? <laughs> um, I mean, that's how I, that's how I finish. Um, yeah, so, so she goes outside, and she's kind of sitting on the porch, uh, like the front steps of this place, and she might be smoking a cigarette, I don't know. Uh, and then this was a nice little creepy scene, this little this little moment here uh she sees uh it looks like a guy walking in the cemetery with his dog might have a meat cute here uh except it's not a dog it is a goat there's a man walking a goat and this guy has a really creepy mask on and he's just kind of walking towards her uh i thought this that was kind of chilling yeah it's like not quite a human face it looks like burlap with ash covering it or something and this is a recurring motif for a lot of the, the creepy people that we see throughout the remainder of the film. But again, this is where the theater experience would have made a big difference because we see him at a distance. And then I think we cut back to her and she's like, oh, that's fucked up. Mm-hmm. And then abruptly we cut back to this low angle close up of the dude walking towards the camera with like a, a musical sting or something, yeah. which again, on a laptop, it's like oh, that was odd filmmaking. But in the theater, with loud noises and you know a big image tens of feet tall that would be that would make you jump at the very least for sure keep you awake it would be the parrot it would be the parrot from a fucking citizen kane or some shit so you still awake because you ought to be (laughs) but um yeah uh, we cut to bruce davison and uh he is reading the journal from the prologue of the film Mm -hmm. and uh we get another vision of the past, and this is where Michael Berryman and Sid Haig have cameos uh, dressed as, you know, people in 1696 hauling witches to the like a, a burning pyre of some sort, and uh, we get to see some old biddies get burnt to death. This is um, a pretty good scene. I thought that this was pretty effective. Not the best burnings I have seen on film, um, but the acting of the old biddies is quite good. Like they Do- really sell it. Um, do you remember that dude burning alive in Final Destination 2? Yeah. Fuck. That, I was not ready for that when I watched it the first <laughs> <Fuck>. time. <laughs> Him screaming. I'm like, holy shit. Um, yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, this could have been a little bit better, but on the whole, I think I, I, I really like this scene. Also remember, $1.5 million. Um, yeah. Presumably shot very quickly as well. Um, some of the best burnings I've seen on film were, oddly enough, uh, Silent Hill. Um, I think it was Katie Sackoff, the the lady cop Sybil in that, um, when she gets lowered onto the fire and she gets cooked oh, before she God catches fire. That fucking. Movie. I was like, I was like, yikes! That is not something you see all the time. The actual like cooking before before they get immolated, like before they actually catch fire. She's popping up in all kinds of things. I'm watching. It's it's funny. She was. I think it was either in the Mandalorian or Boba Fett. One of those two. I think it was the Mandalorian. I think yeah. And then, yeah, I think she was in The Mandalorian. She's in an episode of Workaholics. She's She's got range. She's she's very talented. <laughs> um, she pops up in the damnedest of places. Yeah. I mean, I know like it was like Battlestar Galactica was like mm-hmm. an early big hit for her. But funny enough, uh, I think she was in Halloween Resurrection. Oh. Uh, I could be wrong on that. But I think she was in 
probably the worst Halloween <laughs> film. So congratulations, Katie. Hey, dude, we have we have you, you burn good. <laughs> we haven't seen Halloween ends yet, uh, so we we can't say that that's oh. the worst Halloween yet. I've seen exactly one assessment of it so far, and it was from a horror super fan, which is a very particular type of person who yeah. pretty much can jerk off to any any Halloween film. And has. Oh, um, and they have. Yeah. But I don't know if they could finish to this film. Uh, so I read uh, there was an interesting thing about like uh, review when reviews start coming out. So um, the there's like a it's not a it's not a a rule necessarily but it's kind of like a rule of thumb it's like yeah this is kind of the the thing if a movie's good they'll release uh the release reviews like uh two weeks before if the if they're yeah. like released like a couple of days before it's like they're not trying to drum up any kind of hype for this movie they want this to just happen get over with and apparently the reviews for this film or yeah were like the day before basically the uh, like the official yeah. reviews yeah yeah, that is not a good sign. Generally, if a, if a studio is confident in a film, yes, they will provide advanced screening to the press. If it is not, they will deny that until the <laughs> last minute, until the full you know full release date. Um, and if they're super serious about like this is a stinker, we got to protect it all the way down to the wire. They will place a review embargo. Was the trick? They will they will bring in they will bring in the lawyers if you start putting out reviews prematurely. Wait, wait, what's the was the trick? Did his card decline? No, it approved. Okay, you can go watch the movie. You're good. Done now. You're gonna enjoy it. It's gonna be great. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> yeah, we've already got your fucking money. Uh, yeah. Well, fortunately, they're releasing it. I think they're releasing it on Peacock, so it doesn't fucking matter. I'm already paying for it. Um, but yeah, so doing some research. Uh, I. I uh, I'll move on from the flashback toward uh, they're burned alive basically and I believe there's a curse put on I think maybe she's speaking a curse as she's dying the main witch yeah uh, and, and a curse is placed on Hawthorne uh, who is the gentleman yes. who is writing the journal at the beginning of the film and who were revisiting his works throughout the film so we see Maria Ch- Maria Conchita Alonso uh, smoking smoking a joint in the bathtub and she's I mean could you be more relaxed that's the most relaxed you can be I mean besides uh, besides on heroin in a big fluffy bed this is the second most <laughs> this is the most comfortable you can be and she can play music apparently and Bruce Davison comes in to talk to her he's like hey you can still play the piano right would you mind playing the piano for me and she's like uh, I guess so he has this poor woman get out of her tub and come down and play the piano and she is just you could tell she is not thrilled and i'm like man uh she plays so he gets the he gets the music from this diary basically and he's just like this i wonder if this is what i'm looking for you know what trevor it actually is exactly what he's looking for No, the movie was just deliberately wasting all of our time. That would be kind of uh, funny if she's like, nope, it's not the right thing. And he like flips a page like, what about this one? Nah, there it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah Different movie. That would be cute. Yeah. Uh, she plays the notes in the book, and he's just like, Eureka-ish. Like, there's he's he's made a connection. He's like, I'm on to something. Um, and then I think we get Sherry Moon Zombie being late for work. I think she's been kind of in... A bit of I don't know if she's just been sleeping a lot, and I don't even know if she's late. I think she might have missed a day or two of work. It seems, um, and you can see there's a bit of a concerned look on the Hermans. They're kind of like, oh, here she is, like, hey, how, how you doing? And 
she's not really receptive. Like you can tell she's she's kind of like Adam Sandler in Click when he's on autopilot. He's just kind of yeah. Uh, this was one of the weaker elements of the movie is the just lack of characterization, I guess, because we do get some details about about Heidi, who is very much our main character. But the problem is she's an entirely passive character which yeah the character math adds up like like as as a character her reactions never read false like like they she behaves appropriately um only problem with that is that it's difficult to engage with as a viewer where it's like you feel like you you're left wanting a little bit more like there need there needs to be some more engagement from from our lead performer because she's sleep literally sleepwalking through most of this movie and it it feels like a missed opportunity because it's like i guess she's supposed to be a victim throughout this entire movie but because her reactions are so muted to everything it's a lot harder to sympathize with her um we just needed a little bit more i guess like in terms of who she is and how she feels especially about the things that are happening because she like we continually are are made aware that like she feels ill or she's unnerved by things, but but it's so muted that it, it just doesn't read that well on film. But yeah, she goes to the station, and she's very late, or she's missed a couple days or something, because Ken is actually a little bit prickly about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learn here, uh, through the broadcast, uh, Ken Foray reading on the air, that the Lords of Salem, the band who apparently produced that record that they played, are coming to town who the fuck's showing up for that? But it's a free concert, so you know some old biddies will show up because they don't know any better, and uh, they're bored. I was gonna uh, say, and bingo is closed. Say, <laughs> I know one Powerman Five Thousand song, and they were at a con. They they were at a festival. I'm like, I'll go watch them while I'm here, but I'm not gonna go see them. And that song, that one song that they have, is a banger. Like it's really good. This song that they play, baby, for, baby. The song that they play for the radio station is not good. So yeah, the Lords of Salem, they're coming and they're going to be performing a free concert and they play the music again yeah. on the air. Oy. <laughs> Oy. Um, and Heidi gets sick. like She excuses herself from the booth um, and we get what toilet count number four uh, she's sitting in the in the public it's like toilet. mambo number five toilet count number four <laughs> i'm telling you i noticed there uh, are a lot of toilets uh, in this uh, movie uh, 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 uh. yeah um <laughs> yeah she, she's sitting near the, she's toilet adjacent well she she's got her I, I think she ralphs at the radio station and then she ends up going home and i think she goes back into the bathroom at home so yeah i think you're right um yeah, hey Sherry, if you're gonna spew, spew, spew into this. <laughs> yeah, we get some uh, we get some rats in the hallway, which is always unsettling for me. I don't know how you felt about it, um, but I don't think much else happens except maybe there's maybe some bleeding out of the walls at this point. I don't really know. Um, doesn't... No, you, it's 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 rats, and then Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. Uh, <clears throat> new day. Uh, so this is where Bruce goes to the uh, author of that book, uh, or who uh, who wrote about that book or something so i don't have a name for you kyle um it's kyle. but my notes my notes read here top of the muffin to you um i don't know if you got that right i didn't uh, is that uh seinfeld correct <laughs> top of the muffin to you <laughs> yes this this actor i don't know his name but this is top of the muffin to you <laughs> 
who stole the business idea, the muffin top business idea from Elaine Venice. Oh, that's f- oh, he is the one who did that. Yeah, he's the one who actually opens the brick and mortar restaurant or the oh, bakery. I thought you were saying he said "top of the muffin" to you in the movie. No. Oh. No, 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 no. He's the guy from the okay, Seinfeld. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, I thought you were saying he said top of the muffin to you. I'm like, that's that's brilliant. <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> that's really clever. You should, very... make, you should make like a greeting card out of that. <laughs> um, so yeah, he goes to talk to this dude and he basically tells him about Margaret Morgan and her curse on the daughters of Salem. Basically, she put a curse on them so that they can't have kids or something. I don't really know for sure what the curse is. Uh other than that i mean i like this this little conversation they have because it does feel just like it's just a very professional like i just want to learn more about this just tell me more um which it was it was a fun scene i like this little scene no i i liked it too it's just the good version of uh the bagul briefing that we get from vincent d'onofrio in uh was it sinister oh um fuck i forgot about that yeah, he is in that movie. I might have to. He is that. on a webcam. I had to shut that movie off. <laughs> I had to stop watching it because I was by myself at home, uh, and it was this time of year, and I'm like, it was too spooky for me. I couldn't handle it. I had to. I had to come back. Yeah. Previous episode on catching up on cinema. That was a Kyle pick for sure. But yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio. I'm fairly certain never showed up to set wearing pants uh, because I'm <laughs> mostly certain he was on a webcam in that movie, and I'm mostly certain he was sitting behind a desk that entire movie. Um, but yeah, this is essentially a better version of that scene. But the way the reason it works is because the tone is very it's fun mm-hmm. because these are two people who happen to both be fascinated in the Salem witch trials that are just comparing notes. So it's just two enthusiasts exchanging notes. Like it's, it's not meant to be a scary scene. The only reason it is at all eerie or ominous is because we, the viewer are privy to information that these characters are not um, in that. Oh shit. The, all the things he's saying are actually critical to the plot but he doesn't believe any of it. He's just interested in it. He's mm-hmm. an enthusiast. Um, but yeah, he tells us about Margaret Morgan and the Coven of Six and whatnot. Um, and we, I think we learn here about the curse. Like it, it is explicitly stated to us that the curse is on the Hawthorne bloodline um, and that bloodline will be the vessel through which the devil, the Debo, Lil Debo, if Lil you will, Debo. will inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> tale as old as time um, <laughs> beauty and the beast beauty. by the way angela lansbury died oh uh, yeah yeah saw that oh she was the Bummer. teapot yeah yes she was the teapot oh. she was bed knobs and broomsticks she was murder she wrote dude i that was a big old show that I actually watched a time or two that's a fun one that's a cozy show i have to send you this reddit little reddit video of a guy uh filming his drunk wife doing karaoke to the uh yes uh oh god the the really peppy song from uh beauty and the beast when they're getting everything ready for her uh it's super be our fun. guest be our guest yes yeah, she's well she's doing the voice perfectly it's just on point but it's a really funny video i got you don't worry yeah uh I, I know I mentioned it on the episode, but uh, she was also the original stage performer of uh, the Sweeney Todd uh, musical. Uh, oh, she was, uh, was she know, Mrs. Lovett? The, yes, she was. Nice. 
I, I remember listening to the original cast recording before we did that episode just because I was curious uh, what the tone was like. And I was like, yeah, that, that, that is definitely that teapot singing that song <laughs> about them pies, <laughs> them shitty pies in London. <laughs> um, those shitty pies. They're the shittiest pies in London. The shittiest pies in London. <laughs> The shittiest pies in Blackpool. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, is there anything else you want to say about the curse? Because uh, I got to, uh, no. I got to talk about Herman in this next. Heidi at Herman's. Oh, this piece of shit. So she's staying with Herman right now. And did you catch? He brings her in a warm beverage in a mug. Did you see what he brought her? I did not. So I'm assuming it's a cup of tea that he made in the fucking microwave because he's got. Uh, napkins on the handles, uh, which is absolute garbage. When I see people make tea, <laughs> you're shaking your head like, "What the fuck is wrong with people?" <laughs> it's. I think it's explicitly an American thing. I don't. I don't know any any other place. I think my buddy's wife, even I, like, she was pregnant and she couldn't have anything. Like, she couldn't have alcohol. And I was gonna have some drinks with her, but my buddy, her husband. So I brought her some cookies and I brought her some some good chamomile tea. And she's like, so you just like put it in the cup and then the microwave? I'm like, what? No. Uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to tell her how to make tea. <laughs> oh, it oh, really Jesus. is very upsetting. Uh, she didn't yeah, to our foreign listeners, to our non-American listeners, America, the land of microwave tea yeah. and coffee pot ramen. <laughs> we'll, we'll fuck you up with our coffee, but do not ask for tea because we do not. A lot of us don't know how no. to make it. No. <laughs> if given the option, ask pick for coffee. coffee. <laughs> if you don't like coffee, then you're not getting a warm beverage that you're going to enjoy. Yeah, then that's it. <laughs> you uh, ain't drinking anything. <laughs> so they're kind of having this moment on the couch, and you can see he's concerned. And we learn uh, she basically says, Look, I'm clean. And we know she's not clean from booze, but the way she the way she puts it, it's like, oh, that was uh, a narco- likely a Narcotics Anonymous, not necessarily Alcoholics Anonymous. That that support group that she was at, she's had an issue with other substances. So, considering her, the way she's been acting, the the boys are actually concerned that she's back on the back on the drugs, um, and uh, she ends up coughing up some blood here, and I. I was not expecting this scene to go the way it does. This is kind of interesting how this plays out. Yeah, uh, we get a, a hallucination or, or an absolute nightmare because she starts coughing up blood and Herman, you know, starts telling her, like, try to get yourself together. I'm going to call an ambulance for you. He's doing his best. Um, and uh, the tension is ratcheting up because, like, she's spewing blood and, like, the, the soundtrack is kind of ratcheting up and whatnot. <laughs> Um, and then we cut to her POV, and we see there are a trio of monster doctors. Uh, they're dressed in, like, surgical gowns with masks, and they all have that burlap or ashen texture to their face uh, that the fella at the park had. And then one of them touches Herman on the shoulder, and his eyes roll back in his head, and he's incapacitated. Uh, and then the three doctors jump her, and uh, in a sequence that reminded me of uh, the David Cronenberg's The Fly, mm. um, they start tussling with her, and uh, they tear a worm-like creature out of her midsection. Like, bare hand, just yank it out of her. And it, it's uh, it's pretty grisly. Like, it's uh, 
it's effective. I'll just say that much. Like this movie, this movie is not without its strengths, and some of this trippy imagery uh, is chief among them, if you ask me. It started off. It started to remind me of uh, Marilyn Manson's video for the Dope Show, which is any Marilyn Manson video is pretty crazy from the '90s. If you can catch it, it he was very much known for having awesome music videos. Um, so yeah, this was an interesting scene, but oh, oh it's a crazy dream uh, that she is having. Uh, but go ahead. Guess where she ends up? Oh yeah, <laughs> she ends up at the door with two skulls on it. She's getting some drugs. Yeah, yeah. I was I was watching this. And like she looks like she's in a shittier part of town. Oh, she's going to. Okay, yeah, she's going to get drugs. Yeah, uh, she uh, ends up there. But in between that, another toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting on the toilet. Toilet. Toilet count five. I think we're up to toilet count five. Subliminally, I think he was trying to tell you this movie is shit. Uh, it's really yeah, yeah, yeah. She she sits on the toilet and the painting on her wall starts bleeding. Yeah, which was actually pretty cool. Yeah, like that was that was an analog, you know, just practical effect that they they built like a, a three dimensional painting that because of the shading and the lighting, it doesn't look like it has texture to it. And then yeah, it starts barfing blood, and she's sitting on the toilet. So that's t- that's five toilets. And we hear voices calling her name, and yeah, she goes to the double the double skull door, and um, she most certainly acquires the drugs. Yeah. Uh, so cut to Friday, and Kyle, would you? What? <laughs> well, th- this this image. Um, there's a lot going on when we get to Friday, uh, when we're introduced to Friday. Uh, is this where she's actually doing the drugs? Yeah. yeah. So, Among other things. She is multitasking, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, so I don't... I thought... I was assuming because I, from what I understand, there's a bit of a, a an opioid and there was definitely a heroin problem in Massachusetts, uh, in certain areas of Massachusetts. I think at this time, even. Uh, maybe a few years before this. Um, so I, w- I was assuming that she was on heroin. I thought that that was what she had to kick because of just the, the locale. Um but this is not necessarily how you want to do heroin. I know that you can, I believe you can snort it. I would advise against that. Um, but generally you take it with, a, we've seen movies, you know, we've seen Forrest Gump. Um, but she's smoking it how you would like PCP or crack, uh, which is interesting. That's what I read it as was crack. But this is not how crack affects the body. We've seen the fighter. We know how crack affects you. <laughs> like... <laughs> It makes you really skinny and annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think this is crack that she's doing. I, I don't know. I It was kind of strange the way this plays out. Or maybe you could read it as she's supposed to be smoking crack, but the power of what's happening to her, this uh, whatever whatever this curse is doing to her, it can't. This cup of coffee is not even waking her up. Like it's it's keeping her so bogged down. You know what I mean? Like that could be what it is. It, could it be like meth or something? I don't. I don't well, know very. What much I'm about saying drugs is drugs and especially the aesthetics of drug use. Well, <laughs> here's the thing, Trevor. Crack or meth, she's going to be up. Have you talked to somebody who's been on either one of those things? It's their their motor mouth it's it's a it's it, there's a high energy she's I, I, even lower energy i have walked the streets of yes. my hometown a few times kyle yes, you should <laughs> yeah so heroin and you've seen what heroin does to people you can basically lean backwards and almost i've seen an yeah. eddie griffin stand-up show <laughs> i forgot about that that was dark um 
I had to save it. I had to keep a dude from getting hit by a bus one day because he was leaning over into the into the street. Um, but yeah, so I I would either read it as he doesn't know what drugs are or what they do to people, which I don't think is I don't think is the case. Or B, I think that she she's so fatigued that she can't even get up. Like there's not an upper that's going to do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, I. I it's interesting because the, the script writing is not one of Rob Zombie's strengths. Uh, visuals, I will give him all the credit in the world for. He does know how to put in- interesting images on the screen. Uh, directing actors, he does, given the right con- like context, he, he knows how to get people to where they need to be to, to play out the scene and whatnot. But when it comes to plotting and, and pacing out a story and like cre- creating a, a clean and tight narrative... I I think there are some weaknesses there because, especially in 2022, this is one of those major character details that they would find some way to really emphasize as being like metaphorical to some degree or or being uh, an analogy of some sort, like that really deeply ties into the the core themes of the of the story. But here it's just this odd little detail that seems like it's largely just there to hand wave away why nobody's checking on her mm-hmm. um but beyond that it doesn't really contribute anything it's very odd because it's such a major thing like it, it's such a, a thing that contributes a lot it carries a lot of weight uh when transposed onto this character but it doesn't seem to mean much beyond she has a drug problem yeah i don't hang out in circles i don't hang out with people that do heroin so i mean maybe you can smoke heroin i don't know but yeah i think that's really the point that we're trying to to get across is that she's that nobody's going to check on her they kind of can put two and two together i, the, I yeah. think that's why it's here yeah, is to demonstrate that like if she goes missing it's because everybody assumes she's you know doing drugs or if she's behaving oddly it's because she's mm-hmm. back on on her problems but um this image when we come back to her after she acquires the drugs and we have the Friday title card. I, it, so she is smoking something wrapped in foil while a uh, French uh, instructional audio tape mm-hmm. tape is playing. Um, she has a record playing simultaneous to that mm-hmm. uh, that is skipping. So the, the nipple, the needle is slipping. <laughs> the nipple. And then she is also watching a silent movie in the background she's not watching it she has her back to it multitasking <laughs> yeah i was gonna say when i sit down to draw i'll throw on some gent or like uh i've thrown on like uh some kind of like soundtrack i think i did it to the hereditary or the midsommar soundtrack but i'll have like a movie on in the background i think i threw on dark city this last time so i'll have like something i can just kind of turn around something like some kind of cool aesthetic film in the background but yeah i'm not throwing in drugs into that too and then an extra audio medium I, it just occurred to me the movie does a very poor job of illustrating this if this is in fact what they're trying to convey but the the flashbacks the 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 1696 witch stuff mm-hmm. it's never it, like the the visual language of the film never points to that being like actual dreams like like actually Im- like images in Sherry Moon's mind when she's asleep. Like the movie never yeah, tells us that. But what if, what if she's trying to stay awake or something because 
that's what's in her head when she goes to sleep. That would be something. Because that's a fuck ton of noise in the room. Like, that's so much energy and activity. Like, it's like maybe maybe that's where the upper thing comes in, is that she's trying to keep yeah. herself from falling asleep. Instead I don't of, know. Instead of Nancy taking caffeine pills, she's like, hey, I know how to stay up. Yeah, that make, that would make sense. Exactly. And that, that could actually be, like, kind of a nod to Freddy, to Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But, um, yeah, so uh, she gets a knock on the door, and I'm surprised she actually answers it. Uh, but it's the sisters, and they brought tea and scones, which is so polite. I would love, I would love for somebody to just show up with tea and scones that I know. Like, oh, I brought, I brought tea and scones. My friends usually bring beer. Um, <laughs> and uh, we get uh, Bruce figures out that Heidi is the Reverend's great granddaughter somehow, uh, and he gives her a call. And this is where Patricia Quinn Magenta uh, answers the phone, and she has this kind of. It's not chilling it is kind of a uh it's an interesting conversation she has with him i think it's nice she's just like i think she tells him she needs to mind no this isn't where she tells him to mind his business yet that's not quite where we're at um but this is yeah. where, this is where i highlight like she has a great great voice this this exchange that she has but um i think we get um this is where we put her in the chair and I think we're going to take her down to the room, and we get, uh, you are the dragon, Lord Satan. So you're kind of like, oh, these ladies are witches, if you didn't already figure that out. Yeah, uh, they're most certainly witches. And uh, also, Troy the dog is unfortunately locked in the bathroom, so I, I would count that as an additional toilet. So we're up to six toilets now. Um and yeah, we're we're cutting back and forth between the dog trying to get out and the the witches wheeling Heidi uh, down the hall. It's this grand old theater that we walk into, which is I don't remember this at all <laughs> when I watched this the first time. Um, yeah, so she walks into this big old theater and her face is painted now. It's the uh, cover of the film. Yeah, um, and I could be wrong. I'm, I'm not a classical music expert. I did listen to a lot of it when I was a little kid, but uh, I think this is Mozart's Requiem uh, that plays over this sequence, and it comes up at least one more time in the film. Um, but yeah, uh, the apartment door opens, and when Sherry Moon steps into it, like she's carted over there by uh, Lacey and her sisters. Um, it's an ornate hall. Uh, that she walks into and uh, she ascends a staircase um, and we can see off in the distance uh, there's a figure waiting for her at the top of the stairs um, and it looks like a meat baby yeah uh, it, it looks it looks like a character from earthworm Jim it looks like Doc Duodenum uh, if you've ever played earthworm Jim <laughs> it looks like something <laughs> now fat bastard would find appetizing yes you would definitely want this meat baby to get in his belly correct um but uh kyle uh, had mentioned i think i put a pin in that uh towards the beginning of this recording and i think this is the right time to mention it um the subject of a little person uh in reference to rob zombie had come up Mm -hmm. i specifically the film 31 um now, I believe the way they achieved this effect, I have to assume it was a little person or a child uh, in a makeup appliance, like in a prosthetic uh, monster outfit. Um, 
But there was one line of throwaway dialogue uh, in one of the radio sequences that I I felt the need to to point out. Um, mention of a Mexican dwarf uh, is actually mentioned during one of those like montages of of our uh, our radio station people. Uh, so Sherry Moon and Ken Foray and the other guy. Um, and I think it's funny that that's just a throwaway line that's in there. Um, but then we get to uh, 31 and lo and behold, we have an actual Mexican dwarf uh, as part of the main cast of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the meat, baby, Kyle? It was very unsettling. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of what it does? Uh, so I don't understand what it does. Uh, what exactly did it do? I think it pregnant the, the pantomime of it is yeah the the pantomime of it is very difficult to read but I, I think the idea is it, it like impregnated her like spiritually somehow mm-hmm. because we have another one of those like jarring hard cuts where it's like everything's fine and then all of a sudden we cut to the meat baby and it's like playing double dutch with a pair of umbilical cords and then we cut to the opposite angle and Sherry Moon's also got him, and she's also whipping him around. And she got like her; she's doing like the chicken eyes thing with her her eyes rolled up in her head. So I think the implication is that yeah, the meat baby jumped inside her hoo ha, spiritually, mind you. Groovy. I think. Um. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's kind of what I took away from this because if you once you finish the film, it's like, well, that's the thing that makes the most sense. So we're we're gonna we're gonna go with that. Um, sure. Yeah. And then uh, we get to Saturday, and uh, Bruce is at home with his wife, and we get to their cool loft, and she's like, hey, lunch is almost done. And he's like, I gotta run to the museum. And I'm like, no, he's not, he's not going to the museum. He's lying. Um, <laughs> he's lying. Uh, he's going to see Heidi, and because she's not you know, returning his calls, and he got that weird interaction with the lady. Uh, and then this weird-ass scene where Herman rides his bike to a dock somewhere and gives Heidi a call on the phone. Uh, yeah, he, he wants his cell signal to be even worse. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, he basically is like, hey, uh, are you going to be good to go tonight? I guess they have a function they have to go to. He's like, I can swing by and pick you up. Uh, she's kind of like, no. She's also just like, seems like she's just super down. Like, she's just depleted of all energy um and she refuses any any offer for assistance that he makes mm-hmm. which maybe there's some some theme- theming going on there in regards to people with drug problems or addiction problems or what have you but it's just a weird phone call yeah it's interesting though she she has this phone call we just see her in her apartment and then she, the phone the call ends and then we get uh we like reestablish the shot and we see her sitting on the on the ground of her apartment which is completely trashed and i think lacy is in the background and she's just like oh you really like him don't you yeah lacy's kind of holding vigil over her um but yeah the place is totally fucking trashed um meanwhile outside uh bruce davison comes to the apartment uh, because kyle had said he was trying to get in contact with heidi uh, because he knows about the curse and whatnot um, instead, uh, he meets Lacey mm-hmm. outside, who is like sweeping or something. <laughs> Which with a broom. Um, nice. And she I did not uh, put that together. She's, yeah, you're right. 
she claims that Heidi is not home, but he should come in and have tea. And, oh, an American offering tea? That's suspect. <laughs> um, tea with her and her sisters. Um, and, uh, oh my god, the awkwardness of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually a very well-acted scene. Mm-hmm. Um, this is tense, <laughs> yes. to say the least. It takes a turn. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She's like, you want to... What, what, uh, He's, she's like, I know why you're here. You, what do you want to do to her? What, what does she say? She want, he, he wants. You want to fuck her brain. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, and he's like, I think I'm gonna go. And uh, he ends up getting hit in the head with a frying pan, uh, just like a Tex Avery cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Credit to uh, D. Wallace, friend of the Cinema Speak podcast, by the way, D. Wallace. Um, she has a, a a heel turn here. Where, as Kyle had said, she's almost like kind of saccharine. Like, she's like goofy and sweet earlier in the film. Um, whereas here, she has like her hair slicked back and she's like perpetually smoking. Mm-hmm. And she, I actually kind of like it. She's the muscle of the three sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she's, she's the, she's Knuckles. <laughs> she's, she's Knuckles the witch. Because <laughs> she's always being bossed around by the other ones. Yeah. But she's the one who does the, the panning of the frying pan to the head cast iron good god mm-hmm. that would kill you for sure uh, but yeah bruce davison gets his face caved in off screen rob zombie does have that thing where you would think his movies would be absolutely drenched in gore and violence but like more often than not like you usually just get like the aftermath of the violence and sure enough that's kind of the case here we get the initial hit and then everything else is implied it's just sound and acting it's, it's kind of refreshing honestly <laughs> Yeah, I do like how he comes to, and they have a little bit of an exchange. I don't know, really remember what's said here, um, but basically they give her the go-ahead, and she puts in reps on this dude's head. Like, she she goes to town. Uh, I love I love the yeah. handing of the yeah. cigarette. She's like, hold my beer. Yeah. I, gotta, I gotta fuck this dude up. <laughs> and then she takes it back afterwards. That's yeah. great. Uh, yeah, so then uh, he's dispatched from this world. And uh, I do like, she's like, would you like some tea? I'm like, that would be great. Uh, and then Herman comes uh, a little bit later in the day to get Heidi. And I like this, uh, it's not a confrontation, but it's an awkward uh, exchange. But the lady's just on the stairs like a gang <laughs> from, like, they're on, like, in front of a brownstone in, like, West Side Story kind of thing. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're like kind of perched like like a bunch of intimidating crows or something yeah. on her staircase. Yeah. Um, and Herman just kind of like slides between them as he ascends the staircase. And they don't like actually actively try to stop her. Um, but uh, we get a Sherry Moon butt crack uh, count number three, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get three butts and six toilets. Okay. Would, would Now, was this butt crack, did he have her naked earlier in the movie so that when we see her butt crack now it wouldn't be jar like it wouldn't be like what the what the fuck is happening now like it wouldn't be distracting it's like give them a taste earlier in the movie because now it seems like you see in her butt crack is she's just like she's just out of it like it's just kind of show that she's listless and has just no enthusiasm so it kind of makes sense that her butt crack would be kind of hanging out so do you think that's why she had her naked at the beginning of the movie Maybe, maybe. I mean that that is there is a point to that where it's like instead of being completely distracting, it's just like yeah, I've seen. You've that seen. I've already before. seen her butt crack. Yeah, <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> At this point, I've, I've seen 
we've seen her naked in pretty much every movie that she's in at this point. So yeah, it's old. It's old news yeah. now at this point. Yeah, I mean, this is the third time we're seeing that, but in this film. In this film, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, imagine being the the continuity person during the shooting of this scene. It's like Sherry, you got you got to like pull that down just a little bit. It was. You know, in the previous shot, like the, the the pants were just a little bit higher. Like it's do, you, <laughs> do you remember that scene in Forty Year Old Virgin where uh, uh, fucking Paul Rudd is like drunk at work and he's just lost it and he's like uh, he has the video camera and he's like getting ready to put it down his pants and then you, next scene you see Seth Rogen like helping him like try to pull up his pants and his ass is just hanging out. I don't know why this scene reminded me of that. Just like oh, just pull it up like just. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, anyway, but, butt crack, mon- monster nun, uh, and then, demon nun. Yeah, that's what uh, I had. Yeah, uh, something that I, I'm curious if you caught something that I didn't because there was something missing here that I'm trying to figure out. Um, mm-hmm. So Herman, the resolution with Herman, um, he goes to the door, and if memory serves, Sherry tells him to leave. Basically. He's like, no, I can't see you. You got a guy here. And then I think one of the other witches is in there with her and is kind of like hovering over her. And so Sherry like doesn't let him in and he's stuck in the hallway. And then Lacey comes around the corner and says, hey, come here, Herman. I, I want I want to show you my butt. Um, and then the scene ends. And then the next the very next cut is Herman bringing Heidi to the concert hall. So what happens? What what transpired? <laughs> so what happens is, uh, she's just like, uh, I think Lacey comes upstairs and she's like, just wait outside for her, Herman. She'll come. Like she, she'll she'll go with you to the theater because that's where she's supposed to be going is to this theater. Um, so they take her there, and then the rest of the film plays out at the theater basically. So I think they were just like, she's going to end up there anyway. So what does it matter? Like that's. Hmm. where it's going to go that's what i was kind of putting together i guess i I was like trying to figure out like if is he somehow involved or something because they they do give each other like a knowing look as she's going into the venue without him because like i'll I'll just read my notes here it says herman brings heidi to see ken foray in the in the alley outside the venue Heidi says bye as she goes into the concert hall. She and Herman shoot each other a look, and then she goes in the door. He stays in the in the alley. Mm. So I I don't know what what the fuck that was. I th- maybe that's just a, a gaff in terms of like editing and filmic language. Um, but it was a weird thing to me. Yeah, maybe maybe they were. It was explained to them. I don't know. Uh, also, the one Herman like he kind of got like he got like touched by the demon things like he kind of i think he passes out yeah. or whatever so yeah in that one vision the yeah. doctors touch him yeah i i don't know but i'm, I'm grasping at straws here but uh, one other theme that just came to mind a couple minutes ago was like i i don't have the mental wherewithal to go over it but like maybe the witches are symbolic of like uh toxic community or something or like because you know she come she just happens to meet this group of strange people uh and then gets into you know gets back into old habits or get, basically has bad things follow her and like as she comes into those new relationships or something i don't know I don't it's know. like the people you associate with like 
make a have a big influence on the course of your life anyway uh yeah she goes into the concert venue and then uh we get a lot of fucked up shit yeah i (laughs) I literally have satan come to us we are ready uh the theater is just it's basically like uh like one of those jerk off theaters basically that's how many people are in this audience that's how sparsely uh, very widely spaced yes yeah (laughs) very widely spaced um and i guess it's the theater of the daughters of salem it's not really clear what it is but the witches have taken the stage and we get meg foster she's out there uh kind of running the the og witches show up yeah the original witches show up and i literally have just down final stuff because there's no way to describe what happens in the rest of this film yeah i'll I'll give you a a best of uh, highlights i guess so uh the curtains um when the curtains go up the backlight the super intense backlight that (laughs) almost reminiscent of like a close encounters of the third kind um, when the spaceship lands at the end Mm -hmm. very cool very cheap effect but very striking from a visual standpoint and then uh, Mozart's Requiem starts up again, um, and we get our, our trio of witches kneeling on the stage. As uh, Kyle had said, Satan, come to us. We are ready, they chant. And then, miraculously, through a fog machine and a massive backlight, uh, the original six witches, who are long dead at this point, appear behind them. Um, and then the Lords of Salem music, that, that droning tune, starts playing. Uh, and all the people in the audience who are not lit, so you can't see details, everybody just starts stripping. Mm-hmm. Like, all the clothes come off. Um, and we don't see any details or anything, but you know what's going on. Uh, and then we cut to what I called the 2001 bed, uh, as in the mm-hmm. finale of 2001, A Space Odyssey. Uh, very much reminiscent of There's one a, of the final shots of that movie. It's definitely a nod, for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know there's a lot of kubrickian stuff going on in this film in terms of framing especially like some of the cinematography feels like explicit reference and that's not a bad thing you know like if you're going to borrow borrow from the best Uh, (laughs) but we get this grand hall and there's screeching noises and we get a rapid fire montage of just imagery Mm -hmm. just fucked up shit um we get uh, a longer take of a, a a gaggle of naked ladies and pig masks with a monster priest Uh uh, standing among their ranks. Uh, That's a very striking image. Tons of neon, lots of melting imagery, lots of like waxy. It's as far as I can tell, it's done digitally, but it's a lot of imagery that are, it's like being melted in like a kind of psycho psychedelic sort of way. And it looks like a a wax sculpture melting. But um, one of the dumber images (laughs) amongst this montage is a, Sherry Moon riding a goat uh, in what appears to be a Las Vegas hotel hallway or something. Yeah. Uh, in the same hallway set or whatever, uh, she's being humped by one of the black metal uh, musicians that mm-hmm. was seen in the music video earlier in the film. Uh, there is a crucified baby at one point. Uh, lots of fire uh, on that same set that we saw a Gorilla Satan earlier. Uh, uh, priest we see Meg Foster laughing into our soul. <laughs> priest with neon dicks. Uh, neon dildo dick stroking it. Yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, oh yeah. Apparently, <laughs> uh, according to the IMDb trivia, there are no digital effects in the film. Oh, I, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. Um, I was referring more to digital editing techniques. I, I I'm 100% certain there aren't any digital effects in the film. It never looks like it. Um, the effects are pretty solid for a 1.5 million dollar budget. Mm-hmm. 
like nothing looks laughable in the film uh and they make clever use of angles and lighting uh, for a lot of this stuff um but yeah uh the, the witches are frenzied um and we uh, return to that that uh fiery set uh, that we'd seen so many of these dream beings in. and uh all the witches are gathered over sherry moon uh who is like strapped down to some it's not a table it's just like a stone or something uh a pyre of some sort and uh we get a repeat of the c-section uh from that dream sequence earlier in the film and all the witches uh the original six are surrounding her and uh they are speaking in tongues uh and it's frenzied and wild and crazy uh very intense and uh she starts bleeding out her cooch uh, and it's a lot of blood and uh, they, like all the witches like dip their hands into the blood and like rub it all over themselves and stuff and then sure enough again reminded me of David Cronenberg's The the Fly uh, she gives birth to a wriggly worm thing uh, that looks like I don't know a, a millicentipede or something because it's got like the long spindly legs it looks like the uh, the tracer critter that they yank out of Keanu Reeves's tummy in the first Matrix um it's like a shrimp robot thing. Anyway, it, it's a wriggly worm thing that Meg Foster, unlike that shitty baby earlier in the film, unlike that ugly baby earlier in the film that she spat on, she's very pleased with the wiggly worm thing that came out of Sherry Moon. Um, and then, uh, what, we cut back to the theater or something? And there's a song. And uh, this is where we get the like image of Sherry Moon in like a she has like a headdress like a tiara of some sort she's in like a robe she she looks like the pose she's assuming looks like i don't know a period painting or something Mm -hmm. um like the it's it's very much like a painterly pose but um she is standing atop a mound of all the naked ladies from earlier uh and also it was said like the the blood of the naked people in the audience was to serve as like the fluid that will give way uh, that will lubricate the arrival of satan essentially via sherry moon's cooch um but yeah uh this time all the witches are very pleased to she to see a uh, sherry moon and she's just standing and she's in like a fixed pose I don't really know what it means um but she has a swirling light behind her that looks kind of neat <laughs> um and then we just cut to like home movie footage of heidi playing with her dog yeah. playing with troy the Tro- dog with troy the dog yeah um yeah. yeah and that's that's the end except for the the news report over the credits yeah uh yeah the news report of the credits uh basically says that there was a mass suicide at a theater uh i don't remember what the name of the group is but they're just like yeah there's a, a bunch of dead people there's like 48 dead people in the theater also heidi's missing uh we don't know where she is uh, if you've seen her, uh, call this number. Um, and then, yeah, and then the then we get the credit sequence with uh, with all the. Uh, I like this in the movies where we get that like the actors like you get like a little little snippet of them from the movie with the the actor's name. Uh, we do that for all these actors, which was which is fun. Yeah, I always think of uh, Top Gun and Predator when I think of that particular style of credits. Mm. Um, there's that kind where it, where you just have like b-roll footage or outtake footage and like freeze frames and stuff uh with like i don't know an, an oldie song playing over the cast and stuff and like showing their names and stuff but then there's also the fast times at ridgemont high ending or the 
what was it the uh the animal house ending where it's like where they like yeah. what happened to them or <laughs> i, I kind of like those sometimes they come up with really hilarious things to say about what became of those people yeah was niedermeyer was he killed by his own troops i can't remember uh, i think so yeah. <laughs> i think yeah i think he got fragged in, yeah. in, in the nom or something <laughs> uh uh i want to rewatch that movie I, I always think about john belushi and them singing louie louie uh after their after their uh after they do the pledges it's a really funny scene um but yeah that was uh that's the whole thing um i don't think my yeah so this this ending kyle this is very much in your wheelhouse mm-hmm. how did you feel about oh it felt great about it it's a great ending uh it's fantastic <laughs> uh because it's like at one at one end it's just like oh it's just a mass suicide i'm like oh so it was a bunch of crazy people like none of this like none of this really even happened it's like but she's missing and like oh okay maybe maybe there is more to this um yeah i like a uh a non-happy ending for movies like this so i was very much happy with this ending yeah i mean uh satan exists mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. Uh, if if the if all that crazy imagery was to be believed uh satan is a is a wriggly worm creature that comes out of a zombie (laughs) i don't understand um it's like people it's like so the the christian devil exists okay but that means that the christian god likely exists and i don't know if you've read the bible spoiler alert but it doesn't go well for people who are into hell (laughs) at the end it goes (laughs) really bad so really putting your eggs in the wrong basket there yeah, so it's it's like one of those endings that's like, I wonder what the what the world will look like tomorrow if Satan walks among us. <laughs> like, Ke- shit. Ke- Keanu Reeves lights a cigarette. Oh, they're doing another Constantine movie. I just remembered. Uh, With him? Uh-huh. Or, uh-huh. Oh, wow. Yeah. At least that's what I've heard. Interesting. Heard, yeah. Interesting. Because, I mean, it's, it's, you know, known that I mean, I've I've read a few Hell Hellblazer comics over the years. Uh, the orig- like the comic version of the character is meant to be modeled after Sting, not the wrestler, the musician. <laughs> oh, it would have been, it makes no sense either way. So okay, <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, it's just interesting that they're continuing with Keanu. Although maybe he has like a maybe he has a contract with Warner Brothers or something cuz i know the matrix was a Warner Brothers thing Probably. um so i wouldn't be surprised if they're pulling some strings they're they're kind of in dire circumstances right now as far as i know that that black adam movie has to work like it has to sell uh i think i actually like this movie uh coming out the other side you think? i think so i think that uh it's corny enough in certain areas that i can get like it's like i can enjoy that uh i like the sets i love the aesthetic um there's really interesting sequences in here just interesting scenes and it's pretty breezy for what it is uh it has just notes of bizarreness there's some legit chilling moments um i'm not crazy about the performance i think that's the thing that's the most lackluster in this movie is the performances aren't that great for me but I think there's enough here that I might actually throw this into rotation around this time of year. That it just it it works it works enough for me. I'm not saying it's a great movie. I'm not I'm I'm not gonna say that at all. I think it's probably his best movie. But there is something it. I feel like this should be a This is gonna go to the Criterion uh, collection. It's just gonna be one of those. It's it's kind of one of those oddities. It's just like I'm drawn to it for some reason, and I 
it doesn't really make sense. It shouldn't be that enjoyable, but I kind of came out the other side liking it. Well, I'm happy to hear you say that. Like that, That's part of why we do the show, is to check, check out things that are on the to-do list. And, and this one clearly was for you especially um i don't i don't know if i liked it but i i find i have nothing bad to say about mm-hmm. it so it's like i can't i can't shit on this movie so i, I can't trash this movie so it's like maybe that means it's not bad <laughs> like maybe that means it's actually kind of good well it's kind of like, i was like kind of after watching the lure it's just like i get through it i'm like that was kind of bizarre i didn't like the whole thing i had moments that i liked but like, I think I liked it on the other side, but I'm not sure why exactly. Uh, I might have to watch it again. Uh, not now. Maybe a little bit later. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, maybe in a few years. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll dust it off next year. But, uh, yeah, there, there is something about it this second time. I realized the first time I tried to watch it, I think we were having wine. And I thought, oh, I can just watch a Rob Zombie. Because, you know, you kind of have to lubricate your way into a Rob Zombie movie a little bit. <laughs> uh, so I was like, oh, but this isn't that kind of movie. This is, it, it's not a, like a glass of wine kind of movie. Yeah, it, it has a vibe to it. And in terms of direction, it's very consistent mm-hmm. from what I from what I recall. Like, like I, I feel like this is... Rob Zombie directing with with the most even hand mm. uh, that I've witnessed anyway, where it's like it, it's a very clear focused vision, and it, it doesn't it doesn't stray off path too often. Like it doesn't lose track of itself and what it's trying to accomplish. So I don't know if I'd call it a a great like horror film or a great Halloween time film, but it's not bad. Like it it really isn't. And I you know as as we were now three weeks deep into talking about rob zombie movies it's like i'm i'm pretty sure he's a he's a pretty good filmmaker like mm-hmm. he, he's a talented guy he knows what he's doing it's just a matter of whether or not what he's doing works for you <laughs> um and in a lot of cases doesn't really work <laughs> for me um but in this one i, I feel like this is a, a kind of straight down the middle like rosemary's baby kind of demonic possession or witchcraft kind of movie and sometimes shooting straight down the middle is all you need to do to get it right i think there we think we pinpointed a few areas where we would like i would have done it a little bit differently and i think it would have improved it and i'm i'm fine uh, just leaving it at that it's like yeah i can still enjoy i can still enjoy it on the other side yeah right. uh, so I, I guess that's it for lords of salem not half bad very well maybe rob zombie's best film but um we don't know what we're gonna do Kyle, next. Uh, i say i don't know what we're gonna do next week but i have a feeling it's not gonna be as good <laughs> yeah i mean the, the 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 twitter poll that we got 13 responses for i'm, uh, I'm not doing 30 <laughs> we had a tie between halloween 2 and 30 31 i think we and, know uh, if, i think it's gonna be halloween 2 yeah do what must be done. Oh, I gotta get I gotta get some uh, evil dies tonight sound bites. Steph is looking at me. She cannot wait to watch Halloween too. Uh, so she's excited. Okay, okay, I believe you one hundred percent. You shouldn't. <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, uh, very likely we'll end up doing Halloween too, and we most certainly, if we have time, uh, we'll do a review for Halloween Ends, the David Gordon Crean film coming out tomorrow i believe in wide release um but in the meantime folks at home if you would like to catch up on any of our catching up on cinema content you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com 
Uh, you can also find us on the social media in the form of the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google it. Google it. And don't forget. That being said. I was going to say, don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, please do some of that shit. Fuckers. Yeah, rate us. Freeloaders. Rate us on the iTunes app. Leave a review. You can, it can be bad. Yeah, make us a fucking Patreon and start kicking some dollars our way. Maybe you'll get some actual good content. <laughs> but that being said, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Correct. Bye. Bye.